Are we ready to go live? And it has to do you with know the, I have a hard out at, uh, in two hours. Yeah, I, I would actually like us to plan on this not being more than a two-hour show anyways. So let's okay. plan for an hour. Yeah, plan for an hour. <laughs> we might take care of the intro and exit. Yeah. So, as Grant would say, Coke would talk. Episode 57 It's going to do it live in three, two... This is Coco Talk, the nation's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer, with your host, Mr. Gameplay Goodness himself, Stevie Strout. All right. Good evening, everyone. One and all, welcome back to Coco Talk Live and on the air and on the internet. We are here. Oh, and I didn't update the bug. <laughs> I did everything else but updating the bug. So, that guy. So, welcome back to episode 56, hosted by Grant Leedy. <laughs> hey, and Simon is here. Wait, Simon just joined us, and Coco Man's here. So, yeah, actually, we're on episode 57. I'll have to update that bug and uh we're here and we're live and we're on the internet and i am joined by our uh, panel of experts and uh just all around good looking guys uh special guest host of last weekend mr grant leedy is back with us again hello grant hello everybody resident apple guy and lover of cats mark hey there. overholzer is with us uh programmer of awesome things paul thayer is with us Hey guys, how's it going? The king of the demo scene and Mr. Self-Modifying Code himself, Mr. Simon <laughs> Jonason, is with us. Uh, all, the way, all the way from Ohio, we've got the Coco Mans with us. Jason. Hey, how you doing? Maker of the switcheroo. From Indeed. sunny Southern California, living legend himself, Mr. Steve Bjork, is with us. Hey there. And then from, oh, Canada, we have Mr. L. Curtis Boyle. Hello, everyone. We're still celebrating uh, Cinco de Mayo here, so that would be the Curtis Boyle, for those of you who don't speak Spanish. So we're here. We are live. And thank you all for being here. French, lay Curtis Boyle. And it's Coco Talk. And I will start off by just saying uh, last week I want to thank everybody. Retro Innovations is here. He's already sleeping. So welcome, Jim. And, um, yeah, so I want to thank you guys all for doing a great show last weekend. I want to thank my cat now for providing lots of background noise. Hey, cat, what do you need? Hold on. We're, we're doing a live show. Attention. Yeah. Attention. Needs attention. <laughs> I just want to thank Jim for being asleep now because I think that's a simulation of what we all did during his talk last week. So. <laughs> Jim's on the show last week. Yes. Um, yeah, so last week, great show. Thank you guys, all of you. Thank you to the panel. Thank you to, um, especially to Grant and Curtis and everybody, Steve and Marco and, and Jason and all you guys. Um, and to everybody who watched, uh, you know, it was nice being able to kind of watch the show and see it from the other side of the screen. That was kind of cool. It was nice to be able to troll. That was fun. Um, <laughs> we got to blow your mind with a lot of tech talk. Yeah, oh yeah all kinds of tech talk. Yep. Got, some, got a couple I'm of good I'm just glad he wasn't bites. driving at the time because he might have fallen asleep <laughs> at the wheel and been in trouble. That would have been horrible. 
but what I, what I was able to um, realize, which I kind of already knew, but it was kind of um, reinforced, is that the great thing about this show is this show is uh, is bigger than all of us. You know, this show is the panel. This show is the audience. And, and um, it was great to see that we still had 25 plus people watching us live. God bless you, I think. And, uh, you know, it was great that we still had the same panel. We had great uh topics and and we had a couple special guests so um it's cool well, it, but, but steve you're forgetting the most important thing we also have the trolls <laughs> lots of them i did my part so <laughs> and the trolls well, the part the of show. jim brain this week will be steve strawberry yeah so <laughs> we forgot to ask the question on the uh on the pre-show but do we have any project updates or acquisitions that we would like to talk about going around the room Grant Leedy? No, nothing new here. Just, uh, just what I do want to say thank you for everybody for their uh, kind words and uh, and uh, during my surgery and everything. But other than that, um, nothing new. And the gender reassignment's going well? Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I should have known better. <laughs> I haven't heard the pitch of his voice change yet, so I think it's still a work in progress. Well, see, the problem is uh, Steve's still trolling from last week. <laughs> yeah, that's true. With your special host, Caitlin Leedy. <laughs> Mark D. Overholzer, anything new to your collection? Uh, no, not this week. Are you sure it's not Greta Leedy? David Land, where are you? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Paul Thayer, the maker of Timberman. I know you've got some updates. Maybe we can get you to speak a little bit longer, but uh, you you posted some new blog stuff. Anything else going on? Oh, no, not really. Just just hacking away at uh, Downland 2 and trying to post blog updates as I go along. Cool, cool. I mean, I can elaborate more on that a little later. Yeah, if you want. excellent, excellent, excellent. Yep. Simon Jonason, uh, creator of Controversy and the Facebook <laughs> group here. <laughs> we were all yeah, minding man. our own business, and he had to stir the shit pot, apparently. So. <laughs> no, no, no. I think I was the one stirring it. Uh, Eric Gravelock. Oh uh, my God! You know, this is any time starting that. So. No, no shortage. <laughs> no shortage of drama in our small community, right? So. <laughs> That's good stuff. And uh, Jason, the Cocoa Man, uh, how's uh, how's things? How's business? Uh, you know, th- this little guy here, the switcheroo, it, there's, it's been an overwhelming positive response to it. And uh, I'd just like to thank everybody for their enthusiasm. And I'm uh, taking care of everyone as quickly as I can. There you go. And this is all made in America, right? As far not- as I know. Not outsourcing. You're not outsourcing <laughs> no, no to any of those. F- no, no Canadian labor, right? So. And how many RMAs have you had to send to Jim Rain so far? <laughs> None yet. Very good. Steve Bjork, anything new and exciting you want to share with us? Oh, not too much, but I'm definitely trying to put together my own nice modern development system for the Cocoa. It just, uh, I'm trying to decide which way is the best. I'm kind of more like to use my windows computer because i've got three monitors sitting in front of me here and i that you can tell by the glow of my glasses but uh, you know i just i would like to use that system than a linux system mm-hmm. i'm with you there um plenty of options cool. for that yeah. yeah and what about uh l curtis boyle 
Well, I'm just going to say, you know, the Coco 3 through RF composite and RGB can support three monitors as well. Unfortunately, <laughs> they also show the same thing. And some in audio. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but no, I've been I've been a little bit busy with work. I have been doing some work on the ease of use project. I added the first new menu option on G Shell probably in two decades, uh, just for helping people debug stuff. It added the dump command as a file option. So, and I'm just I've been going through and making a ton of notes on stuff that I wanted to change back in the late '90s, early 2000s. Some stuff I've thought of since. So I'm just making notes on you know, how to implement it and where to put it and how to make it backwards compatible so I don't break all the stuff that's already been done over the years. So. But uh, hopefully I'll get some time to sneak in and more on that uh, before I get too busy with work. Was that ease of use or ease of abuse? <laughs> ease of abuse. <laughs> no, that's the Facebook group when you guys discuss uh, stuff with Eric. But... <laughs> uh, that's cool. I'm, I'm only going to show off one, but I, I'll show off a few things. But uh, I have more things if we run out of time that I could show off, but um, so where is one of my doohickeys? Okay, so um, if, if anybody follows my um, Original Gamer Facebook page, you, you might notice I recently posted a bunch of pictures. I, I built a Windows 98 gaming PC, which I've been wanting to do for a while. One of the things I have gotten because, um, and this was a you know, Discord discussions that we've had. You hear us talk about Discord all the time. But this is a cool little doohickey here. This is a um, IDE adapter that you is a compact flash card so you can basically create a hard drive off of a compact flash card but to make things even more complicated is that the compact flash card is actually a compact flash to SD card adapter so I've actually got an SD card inside a CF card going inside this IDE adapter um, like storage inception yes and the reason why I did that and David Ladd talked me into it and, and believe it or not it actually made sense but the compact flash cards are getting to be more expensive and they're getting to be less available whereas SD cards are much much more um, available right now so I have actually in here a 256 gigabyte SD card which is pretty big for a retro machine right so um so this it's is a micro a, sd right yeah uh, it's a micro sd to yes yeah, so i have a micro sd to sd adapter to cf to ide yeah drive wire ttl esp <laughs> so um so so that's one thing i got now last weekend when i was out of town and thank you guys for continuing the show I got this, also posted on my Original Gamer uh, Facebook page. But I got the Sears Telegames Atari 2600 combo. This thing's cool. got three controllers, probably two dozen cartridges. It's a, it's a light sixer, but still got the six switches. And so, um, yeah, so this was cool. I got this. We went yard sailing while we were in southwest Georgia. So, and that awesome wood grain finish. Yeah, 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 wood grain. Genuine then, simulated wood grain. And then if we have time and anybody has an interest, I'll show these off later. But these are my spoils from Cocoa Fest. But I got the Cocoa Flash, and I got the John Strong case. So this is a Cocoa Flash with the printed case, and I finally booted this thing up, and now I don't know what to do with it, but now I've got a whole new project to learn. So I got Cocoa Flash from uh, Cocoa Fest. Thank you, Jim Brain and Retro Innovations. And then I also got the Game Master cartridge. This is John Linville's... Um, music chip it also has the demo rom that has a jukebox and plays a bunch of songs and so um, at least i can listen to the music so these were some things that i wanted that i got at coco fest and so those are some of my acquisitions uh since i'm uh 
you know, missing out on the show. So there you go. Sorry about that, guys. Took a while. Oh, David Ladd says, uh, for once, somebody listened to me. <laughs> ah, yes. Steve Powell says, greetings, everybody. Hey, Steve Powell. So those are my pickups for the week. Sweet. Yes, 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 yes. That's good stuff. Uh, I think I should also recognize the fact that last week's show... The video version of last week's show right now currently has 189 views, and that's pretty good. Um, that's 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 a that's a good number for us that we've been you know those are our good numbers recently is somewhere around 200 per week, so we're right in there. So thank you all for watching the show. Another thing too, our downloads. We've actually reached 6,700 downloads. I remember just not too long ago, we were celebrating 5,000. That was a nice milestone. But we're now at 6,700 downloads on the audio version of the show. So that is pretty cool. And then the, um, the episode that we just published is episode 56 we've gotten 56 downloads on that and i just published that late yesterday so we've already gotten a decent number of audio downloads too so thank you all for watching the show for listening to the show well get 6809 downloads and yeah that's something we got a screenshot when it happens you know yeah we missed the 6391 so (laughs) well if you want we'll do a screenshot of it of some number and we'll just photoshop it into 6209. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, okay. You could have done that in episode 1. Darn. Ken, mm-hmm. Ken just Takes mentioned that Ken just mentioned that cat number 1 has made it to the show. Here's my Coco cat. So, I'm not sure who else has got a cat out there right now. It's going to say Steve, I know like if I can't watch or participate on a Saturday, I, I usually listen to this while I'm working at work. And everybody looks at me really strangely when I bust out laughing. But they can't hear what I'm laughing about. <laughs> I just think you're crazy, that's all. Yeah, usually. <laughs> it's all good, though. I might be a little bit. Who knows? <laughs> so <laughs> so some of those downloads are from me. Excellent. Cat number two. You're welcome. Cat <laughs> number two, Mark Overholzer. We are going to break the five. I think we made it to five cats one episode. So we'll see if we can't break that threshold. It's a good thing I'm not allergic over the internet to those things. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. right. <laughs> you and me uh, both. Give us time. They'll come up with the technology. Allergy <laughs> <laughs> yes. transfers. When, um, when Bruce and I were brainstorming for the um, Coco Forever, which takes place in the future, you know, he was asking, you know, if, if, if we did a Coco Fest 20 years from now or whatever it was, he goes, would, you, would we still be live streaming? What would it be like? And so I just imagined that we would be doing um, VR, you know. So I basically said, yeah, we'll be streaming Coco Fest in our usual VR setup or something like that, just assuming that's where the technology is going to be at that point in time. Um, but, yeah, then I think I made a joke about smell-o-vision too. So um, I think the technology will be there for sure where we can – we can enjoy all the unpleasant odors of the real world in, in the in the virtual one. So, <laughs> it's like the old scratch and snip adventure in the rainbow. Of course, the real um, feature about twenty years in the future will all be with walkers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there'll be robotic walkers, and we'll go yeah. to four hundred miles an hour, so it won't matter. There you go. There'll be flying hey, walkers. Why do you think Google and the other companies want to do these automated cars so that you don't have to drive? Because they want to still be able to get around when they're in the walker stage. (laughs) Hey, Disney Saints fan has just joined us. Hello there, sir. 
Good to see you. Good seeing you at Coco Fest. We've also been joined by Nick Morentes in Australia. Hello, Nick. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome back. Uh, let me take a quick moment before we move on to our next segment in the show. Let's just go ahead and get our sponsors out of the way. And I do have to add the switcheroo on here. I'll get that added. But let's start off by saying um, Coco Talk is brought to you by the switcheroo, the leading RGB to SCART solution that allows you to switch between composite and RGB with the flip of a switch. To learn more about the switcheroo, go to cocoman.biz. And so there you have it. Don't forget to also visit CocoVGA.com and BoissonTech.com, as well as Go4Retro.com for retro innovations. Our retro swag can be found at 8bit256.com. A lot of our bonus content is produced by Extructus Productions at FD501.com. Don't forget to listen to the Coco Crew podcast at cococrew.org. For all of your color computer needs, visit imacoconut.com. And if you need to reach us on Coco Talk, the website for Coco Talk is cocotalk.live, where you can uh, send us feedback and watch replays of the show. You name it, you name it. <laughs> Ken says, just switch it and forget it. It's like a Ron Popeil thing here right now, right? Set it and forget it. So. The switcheroo. And I should ask on, on behalf of Steve Powell in the chat room, he's asking, when will Steve Bjork come out with Color File 3? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh. I'm glad my face was turned off at that moment. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of hoping it would still be on, but. <laughs> so we have covered project updates. We have covered. Oh, Nick is here. Nick, do you have any updates on anything you've been working on lately? No, no, nothing today. Hello? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, we heard you. We yeah, were we were waiting for the Australian translator program to finish what you were saying there. So no, <laughs> It was hung up on Bidet, I think. Right, right, right. We had a couple of feedbacks on some of our most recent episodes, and so on episode um, one on one of the Vic twenty uh, or one of the recent episodes, we had a person named Joseph Ruff say, "Why did Tandy originally make the Coco with a chiclet keyboard when the Vic twenty sold for a comparable price and had a full travel keyboard?" I think we know the answer to that, right? Well, there's a couple of reasons for that, I think. First of all, Commodore with the PEP before the VIC-20, which came out over a year after the COCO did, um, they'd had a chiclet keyboard, too. So, I mean, Commodore did the same thing. Just Originally, through. yeah. Yeah. And decided that didn't work too well. Yeah. As, as did Tandy, because on the COCO 2, they brought out the first the melted keyboard and then the full travel one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and yet everyone has a chiclet keyboard nowadays. Yeah, they were way ahead of its time. For, uh, like, the Bluetooth keyboards and everything, or laptops? and Oh, la- yeah. yeah. Mac, yeah. You look, at a, look at a modern Mac now. Yeah, yep. true. And I've got true. one right here. It's a, a chiclet style, and it's a full 105-key keys. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the reasons, too, is probably just cost, right? With Tandy, yeah. everything was about what can we create, what can we produce with the least amount of money, right? Maximum profit for minimal cost. Well, I, I guess that was one keyboard that came out that had the uh, rubber membrane inside and was most most keyboards at the time were all, you know, more expensive uh, switches and mechanical stuff. So I guess it would have been a cost thing as well, mm-hmm. yeah. which, you know, as we saw, just about all keyboards changed to that rubber membrane later on. 
Right. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, the other thing, too, with the smaller keys, they could do those overlays for different yeah. educational games and like yeah. that. And that was yeah. really their thinking, too. That's why the yeah. keys were so small. And there's a fair number of third parties like Master Control and stuff that actually use those overlays as well. So And word processors and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, that was kind of neat having those things. I think um, some of the painting programs had that. I, remember, I think the um, color cubes, that was like the Rubik Cube, that might have had one too. Some of those overlays. Um, uh, I think I think what we forget sometimes too is that the Coco was based off of you know first it was the AgVision then it was the VideoTex which was you know just a dedicated terminal um, and then it became the Coco so some of its origins were are you know predate the 80s like some late 70s type stuff is where some of these parts originally came from. Yep, that's true. And, and also let's not forget also that the uh, Tandy were ahead of the game with uh, the silver. The silver finish. I mean, everyone said, oh, that ugly um, silver gray finish was so dated and everyone started going white. But mm. look at look at them now. Look look at the Max. Well, yep. they're silver. Yep. Yeah, that is it's true. It's become fashionable. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there was a time literally when, when Tandy did innovate, you know. Um, it seems so long ago now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They were just too early. Yeah, right? Yeah, that gray, if I'm not mistaken, was called Mercedes gray. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We Fancy. always called it battleship gray, but... Battleship, battleship gray. gray. yeah. 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 But uh, Mercedes sounds better. It does. <laughs> it does. Sorry, I'm trying to update the bug, and then, then that's that just hijacked. <laughs> that just hijacked the <laughs> thing right there. You get to so, see the editing live. Yes, yes, mm -hmm. yes. And then we got another feedback from uh, uh, his, his YouTube name is called uh, Tricob or Tricob1974. He was commenting on Coco Talk episode 32, where we were um, talking about Forest of Doom, the uh, Forest of Doom world premiere. And he says, a bit belated, but thank you for posting this video on more. I didn't realize he did Space Lab and Explorer. When he says more, he's talking about Bruce Moore. Uh, I didn't realize he did uh, Space Lab and Explorer. Does he have a disc collection uploaded of his releases yet? So uh, that part I'm actually not sure of. We'll have to ask Bruce Moore next time he's on um and what, what what was this what was the library that he used curtis that was the cassette library oh um i can't remember the name of it rick adams had a comment on chiclet keys yep. and cassette recorders <laughs> yeah he basically says it was good enough to develop temple rom for <laughs> there you go yeah <laughs> Chiclet keys so and cassette recorder were good enough for Temple of Roms, so there. <laughs> we're just Steve, Steve, you started doing cross-platform development fairly early on, right? Actually, uh, well, actually, I used a terminal, but it was for an 80-column display for the Coco. Like what I would do, uh, well, actually, Etasm, uh, it actually worked sending out its signals to a terminal, and what they did is they wrote a driver in Etasm to emulate that to get it onto the screen. Well, what I did is I just patched into it and sent every character, not to the, just the screen, but also out the BitBanger port. And that went to a terminal and did everything. So I could do screen edit on the terminal. Okay. 
and, nice. and like that. But yeah, I stayed with the Coco developing up until, gee, I would say MS-DOS six days. And that's when I started using the PC for a lot of the work. <clears throat> yeah, that was the one thing I did not like about Ed Tasm when I was learning assembly was doing it on a 32-column screen. Kind of gets things mixed up a right. little bit. It's harder to read is all. Right, and I, Nick Nick posted something recently, right, where Robert Galt's Ed Tasm has been updated to what, the 80-column by yeah, 38 by lines? 80 by yeah, 28 or something. There's been mm-hmm. a few updates to the old Ed Tasm over the years. Even Rainbow had a, a super patched Ed Tasm, and um, yeah, Roger Shrags, Roger Shrags one as well. But um, um, uh, that one, the the one that uh, Robert Gold's done is uh, been patched probably the most in that it also supports six three oh nine and has added a lot more extra functionality and. Uh, the, the the post I did just uh, the other few uh, two weeks ago or so was when I actually uh, approached um, Robert and I said, oh, look, how about supporting a 28-line display, you know, using 225 scan lines? And, you know, he said, oh, I don't know, I don't know. And I said, oh, yeah, you can do it. You've done everything else. So um, he did. He <laughs> patched it. <laughs> and now it runs a uh, – I mean, it's only four lines uh, extra, but oh, well. That's Why cool. not? Is that what if, you use, Nick, when you're developing? All the time, for years. Yep. He's truly yeah. retro. Oh, or backward. Uh, <laughs> or, or both. Um, yeah, no, I, I find it quite quite okay. I mean, I, I like to stay within the old uh, retro color computer environment. So, And it, it's fast enough. I mean, I, I compile um, Popstar Pilot, was, uh, which was a... Uh, uh, how many lines was that? There was quite a, a, a long. It, I filled the buffer up. It was a big program, and yet it would assemble um, in probably two minutes. It, that would be it would be done. You know, it's fine. Yeah, that's not bad. Um, I mean, that, that's all. If you bought Robert Galt's uh, Ed Tasman 6309 in the past, just contact him. He'll send you a new update. That's what I did, and that's what David Lack yeah. did. Yeah, yeah. Or I'll if you want to buy it, okay. contact him. He doesn't take PayPal. You have to send him a check or money order. But uh, yeah, but yeah. Uh, what do you? What do you? Uh, actually, I'll leave this for off off camera. That's all right. I had another idea. But. Uh, well, let me just uh, say real quick. So Steve <laughs> Steve Powell in the live chat is saying, um, did any of you guys ever actually use the color finance cartridge? <laughs> That's why I'm broke. That's the call you got there, Mr. Steve Bjork. Yeah, so Steve's got a uh, uh, yeah. Portrait. I'm trying to hold it right, but Portrait's this here kind of... is what I use for editing stuff. It's a monitor and portrait. Wow, that's a tall one so too. We're looking at about uh, probably seventy lines of code I can put up at once. Wow. Yeah, that's impressive. Pretty cool. Mind, mind you, when I actually do programs because the Robert Sculpt program also supports the drive wire as well so I can print an entire listing to an to an ASCII file on the PC so I actually edit it in Microsoft Word oh so, okay 
yeah, I've broken the mould a bit there. So okay. yeah, I um, I actually edit together in Microsoft Word or any other editor on the PC, and then um, I just transcode it across to the to the Cocoa. Then I do the most of the work on the Cocoa. But yeah, I agree. Uh, having a really big display so you can see as much of your code as possible makes it easier and also a screen-based editor that was the one thing that i still yeah, wanted yeah. in the editor i wanted a screen-based editor that i can just move the cursor around and literally paint the the lines on the screen you know i can it's it's easier than the the edit command so unfortunately that's one thing that hasn't isn't in uh, in the edtasm um but you know i've gotten used to it but Big listings, I definitely do port them across. Well, the other thing, and I kind of like the idea of having somewhere you got a lot of memory, is you don't have to do 20 or 30 includes to uh, assemble your program. And I also really, really love large descriptive labels hmm. that say what the heck they are. Cuts down <laughs> yeah. on commenting. Well, yeah. I don't use any includes at the moment. Popstar Pilot was done includeless and uh, my comments are short <laughs> <laughs> so retro innovation says he doesn't use color finance only monochrome finance here none of this color crap <laughs> oh yeah and get off my lawn right um I'll sh and speaking of, of being able to edit text, and this has become the community episode, by the way. I've decided to name it, and I've updated the bug, because we're going to talk about some stuff that's happened in the community this week. But uh, I, you know, so there's been some questions in Facebook, people asking for things. I asked for something, and I actually got some help, and I think Paul Thayer has offered to uh, share something with me as, as, as well, which I haven't... Um, haven't had a chance to take him up on yet, but one of the tools I was asking for was a Windows-based GUI tool that would allow me to look at a disk image, look at a basic program, and then be able to view it and edit it on a PC because, as um, Nick Marentes just pointed out, trying to edit on a Coco sucks for a variety of reasons. Number one, the editors don't exist. Number two, you got 32 columns. Uh, if those aren't two good enough reasons, we could come up with more. So um, I have a workable tool that allows me to do that and with that tool and I'll just show you guys real quick I was able to finally finish my fonts that I'm going to be using in my Cosmic Aliens game here so I'll just show you that demo real quick these are my fonts that have all been tweaked and my little routine that now lets me print out whatever text I want to do and the fonts had been made but there was because I'm using the extended basic draw command there was this weird um, odd pixel spacings where every now and then they would start to drift from their alignment and get into this weird funkiness so I had to tweak a handful of letters and now I have perfect fonts as perfect as you can get with a 3x5 matrix and um, and they work so the next thing I will be doing is putting these back into the game and, and working on the game so that's a little bit of a project update there for me too and that came the ability to do that quickly and easily came from uh, a tool I got by, by reaching out and asking the community for help cool uh, so, so what tool do you use to um to transfer a dsk from the coco to the pc well or, uh, or to extract a, a file rather from a dsk to the pc uh it's something that john strong had sent me and it's one of his tools and i don't know that it's completely available to the public just yet because it's a little bit of a work in progress but he gave me something that would work good enough for me and right. and it worked so um 
Now, uh, Paul Fiscarelli showed some screenshots of his tool. We saw a peak of that last year at Tandy Assembly, but he's working on a very cool tool that is a visual disk explorer that lets you look at disk images and not only view the file contents and look at them in like a disk hex editing mode, but then it would also do a disassembly and show you what a binary file would look like. It would do a detokenization and show you the basic listings. It would do um, file format viewing on a lot of popular Cocoa files. So if you clicked on something, it would just show you the image in a, you know on a preview window on the side. So a very robust like Windows Explorer for disk images that, cool. he's, that he was working that would be on. Cool. Yeah, um, and so he showed it off at Tandy Assembly last year, and he says he hasn't, you know, done a lot more to it, but he's going to hopefully have it finished soon. But that seems like that's a holy grail tool right there. Most of the solutions people were pitching were using Linux and a bunch of command line tools, and I don't want to do either one of those. I need ease of use, you know. So I'm a Windows guy, I'm a GUI guy, and if it's not easy, I'm not doing it, period. So well, uh, I use uh, WImage tool. And I, is that mess that that comes with, Simon? Yeah. Mesh and mesh. that you just kind of like open, you can create a disk in several different formats, and then you kind of mm -hmm. just drag and drop files on them that are basic or binary, whatever. And it has the details on those two, like sizes and what their category and flag would be on the, on the directory. It's a pretty cool and really easy to use uh, transfer type of program. So. Cool. Well, yeah, hopefully we can get together and you can give me a, a little tutorial on that. Uh, I'm open to having a couple of yeah. options. It's so super easy. So Yeah. Who's joined us in a live chat here? Rob Inman says, I saw a CPM 4 megahertz Z80 cartridge advert in Rainbow. Uh, RS disk controller plugs into it as pass-through. Ever seen it in the wild? Uh, and so what was your answer to that one, Curtis? Uh, yeah, I actually saw them at Rainbow Fest. There was two companies that made them. Um, I can't remember. The Color Power was one, and I can't remember the name of the second one. But yeah, they had a 4 megahertz uh, Z80 and, and CPM, and it was about 250 bucks. Wow. It was this big cartridge thing you plugged in, their disk controller. I did plug in as a pass-through, but you could actually boot up and run CPM on an 80-column. It even came with an 80-column card built mm. into it, too. Would it have like a, a composite output from the card? Yeah. For a monitor? Yeah, for okay. a composite monochrome, yeah. Okay. Very cool. That would be handy. Yeah. You could develop yeah. on the cocoa and then transfer it back. Cool. Would software look right in 32 columns? Uh, well, they usually came with the 80 column card built in, too, so you didn't have to worry yeah. about that for the CPM stuff. Okay. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. That's kind of cool. That's an, that's an oddity. And when you, when last week, when, uh, you know, during Jim Brain's very short segment, um, <laughs> one of the things he was talking about was how many different devices could we stick in an eight-port multi-pack? And it sounds like we've got another one to add to the list there, right? An 80-column uh, CPM card. <laughs> yeah. I guarantee he might have problems with that along with, like, the uh, speed sound pack. It's going to take a lot ah, of use with okay. that Z80. And Rick Adams says uh, and there was an all uppercase card with no question mark. <laughs> all right, somebody's just hijacked the screen share here, so we're seeing emu disk. Oh. Who's, uh, who's showing There's us one. this right now? Oh, it's me. Does the screen share take over the entire screen, does it? It yep. certainly does. Yep. Oh, wow. Okay, then I'll quickly show you this then. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good to know. Um, oh, I don't like that David Ladd. I'll just screen share something. Um, <laughs> um, 
Okay, well, Emu Disk is a is a utility that uh, that I've always used. It's it's still a bit buggy, and unfortunately, the author hasn't come back to fix it. But it's um it's basically a point and click. So it opens up a window, and you just um I'm just going to drag from another window uh, a, a DSK file, and I'll just drag it in there, and it just pops straight up. Yeah, mm -hmm. is a yeah you can you see can what's see in the it. Files. And yep. if I want to grab one of the files, like my ASM file, I just mm -hmm. grab that and, and drag it to um, uh, the desktop. And right. then I have a, a, a file I can just open up in Word or in whatever editor I, I want to use. And, right, uh, there right, right. I can edit right. it, yeah. And that's and, the way to I go. Can, yeah, and I can open up uh, multiple uh, desktops, uh, uh, windows rather. See, I've opened up a second one. So mm. now I've got two DSKs open, okay. and now I can, I, can, I, I can just drag a file from one DSK to another. I can delete um, any files in there. I can, I'll just close these windows. I okay. can um, create a new DSK, and ah. it's got various options. It's got various options as well, so you can create different size DSKs. So I use that very well, but it is buggy. And I think what yes. you've got to do with this program, anyone wants to use it, if you open a DSK in there, make sure you close it and then close the program because it gets muddled up with the closing and then it just... Then you it, can cor uh, it, will it corrupt the disk image corrupt potentially? The DSK. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. That's, that would so be my concern. Yeah, as mm. long as you open it, do what you want with it, and close it, and then close the program. I seem to have no trouble. So it is, it is buggy, and hopefully one day he will come back and he will fix it. So okay. now it's like we'll, a caching problem. Yeah, it probably is. So anyway, so unshare so we can bring back the David Ladd picture. Okay. <laughs> well. Um, I believe he did surface in the community late last year and was talking about reviving the project. And I don't know that we've heard anything from him since then. Um, but that was so these are the kind of tools that, listen, it seems like a lot of developers, if you're a developer and you've got that super techno brain, then running Linux and running CLI workflows is probably nothing nothing more for you to do. But for me, I'm none of the above. I'm not a you know, professional programmer. I'm not a Linux guy. I'm not a CLI type guy. So I need user-friendly tools. Um, and uh, and I'm, admittedly, I'm just lazy too, so I'm not going to deny that. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, th those to me, I think if you can create a few tools like this that help the average person, I think we can be a little bit more empowered to crank out more stuff, a little, you know, just to reduce that uh, workflow time, you know? Yeah, and Steve, it's not just laziness either. I mean, sometimes when, like, the not-so-fun parts of development are more laborious and tedious you you can kind of lose motivation to work on the mm, project exactly know? and exactly. so when you have easier to use tools that can help you accomplish great things faster then you yeah. can stay motivated easier that that's what i find anyway yeah a good point good point and dave phillipson has joined us in the live chat um hey dave dave we need to get you on the on the call because I was trying to ask, and, and you know, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't remember everybody, but I was trying to ask a little bit more about, um, you know, who you are and stuff. Because I know you're you're new to me, but you're not new to the Coco. So, if you could join us, I know you're on Discord too. But if you could join us in Skype, we'd love to have you on today or sometime in the future. I want to put you on the spot. Uh, but thanks for being here. I understand Dave's going to be working possibly on the P-term client for Plato and um, Errata. 
from what Mark was telling me? Yeah, he's been looking looking at it anyway, so. Mm-hmm. He's a guy who did Supercom, one of the better terminal programs for OS9 back in the day. Supercom. <laughs> Supercom looks best on a switcheroo. <laughs> it, even, it even automatically handled Z-Modem. If it detected the Z-Modem incoming ah. string, it would just pop up a window and download. Oh, there's another cat. Here's Coco cat, num- Coco cat number three from Simon. He looks like mine. I've got a tuxedo-looking cat there. Hello, kitty. Meow, meow. <laughs> with all these cats around my eyes are going to really start yeah right <laughs> okay so dave says i'm not set up for skype but yeah we'd love to have you on sometime dave uh and thank you thanks thanks for being here um what was i gonna say i don't remember how about we take a commercial break um we've been we've been at this for 40 minutes and we'll come back and we'll have some more things to talk about uh so thank you all we're gonna take a break and we'll be back here in just a minute Hello, I am David Ladd, and you are watching Coco Talk, the nation's leading live Coco podcast. Where can you catch all the latest news and information about the daily color computer and compatibles? Oh yeah. I'm talking about the Coco Crew Podcast. Dig it each month. Join John, Neil, and Mike as they lay down the latest news and information about the Radio Shack Tandy Color Computer and Compatibles. Move to interviews, tech segments, and discussions all about the Radio Shack Tandy Color Computer. Stretch your fine self over to www.cococrew.org and start listening today. The Coco Crew Podcast. Keeping it Coco Dig. Imagine. A different world. A world where Tandy Corporation has the upper hand. Where the Coco surpassed all competitors. And all you have to do is travel back in time without making a single mistake. Coco forever. How does it feel? You definitely earned this office. Yes, you're too kind, and thank you. You want to grab some food before we head back and look at that alt-reality OS9 module? (laughs) It's only 40 years past due, but yeah, sure. How does it feel? All right. And I do have an updated um, 
I have an updated version of that, too, that we can show in a little bit. So um, Dave Phillipson says, one thing you might want to talk about a bit is the idea I had proposed of using the OS9 environment to develop disk-extended color basic assembly programs and transferring files back and forth using the Cocoa SDC. Um, yeah, but we'd like to have you possibly on for that, too, Dave. But, yeah, I don't know if you guys want to bring it up. I'm, I don't know enough about it to speak even unintelligently about it. Um, uh, right before the commercial, um, Nick, you were asking if you could screen share. Was that something you wanted to do off the air, or is that something you want to do on the air now or at this time? Or? No, no, no. I saw David Ladd. I thought that's the best time to screen share. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we should do that question. <laughs> we can do that. We can do. Um, we can do the. Um, we can do the wide attend to do that. But before we do. The why to tend to do that, and we haven't got to the news segment, but we, that's okay. There's no wrong order to to do this, but I do want to show off the latest, greatest Coco Forever teaser three. So for everyone here, including those on the panel and those of you watching at home live right now, this is the world premiere of Coco Forever teaser three. Are we ready? Yep. There we Ooh. go. I hope so. Seat belt on. Focus, focus. Oh, wait. Might need to rewind I'm that riveted. one. You're riveted. How does it feel? I'm still believing. What if you could go back in time to just the right moment and ensure that Tandy won? You definitely earned this office. Thank you. Yes, you're too kind. Oh, I'm much happier breaking stuff. Life has been a dream. <laughs> but what if you went back to the wrong moment? Give me that. How do you even know what that was? Listen, I don't really care about these blueprints. I just want Say, who are you? You want to spy for Commodore or something, are you? Just move! Oh. Hey, hey, hold the elevator! Hold the up! Stop right there! Whoa, whoa, no need for guns, no need for guns! So, Mr. Anders, it seems you have stumbled upon my little secret. There is no point in waiting for security. I think you are about to have an accident. Okay, no, 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 no! Coco, forever? It's starting to become like a Disney ride opening. Long as it doesn't become I, I, like Duke Nukem forever. I, I like these flexible timelines. <laughs> starting to get interesting. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tell me why. Do 
Well, the reason why this particular taint, uh, why did they do that, is kind of a flashback, almost like this Coco Forever. I was going through stuff on YouTube this morning, and they suggested a bunch of Coco videos. And one of the videos was a... Uh, whole seminar or whatever that Marty Goodman was giving and he asked me to join him and talk about stuff that was more quote unquote from the Tandy's perspective and that had to do with the multi-pack and in that thing I said a line that I hadn't thought about maybe 30 years which is why did Tandy really make the multi-pack and it's not the reason you guys think the multi-pack was designed so parents could plug in the cartridges their kids played a lot and they could leave them in place so that by flipping a switch they could select which cartridge to play that it wasn't to plug in multiple packs and because at the time they were developing it the only packs that they had were game cartridges hmm. They were starting to develop the RS-232 pack and, of course, the disk drive controller. But the thing that they really had was multi-packs. And something else I said in the video kind of, kind of reminded me. Only 2% of Coco users ever bought a multi-pack. Wow. That's honestly higher than I would have thought. Wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Only 2%. That's why, that's why there's so few of them today. Yep. And they also had a problem, too, according to the video. I, I'm looking at this video and going, it must have been true. I was talking, hey, I can quote myself as a source. <laughs> <laughs> That's always reliable. Yeah, it's just like, and just reminds you how much stuff you've forgotten over the years, too. Wow. But uh, the thing at the time in May of 88, they had more multi-packs in the warehouse that needed to be updated the multi-packs they could sell that would work with the Coco 3. Mm. They were, and there's a gentleman that's usually with us from time to time who used to, especially on Discord, that used to go through and worked in Tandy service, and that's one of the things they would do is they would ship him out a lot of multi-packs, and he had to sit there day after day plugging in the new uh, PAL the chips. The PAL chip, yeah. That's uh, yeah. Richard Lorbieski. Unless it was exactly. a 3124, then. Yeah. yeah. So the reason why they did that is so that parents could plug the cartridges in that their games, their kids would play, and they wouldn't be pulling cartridges in, in and out mm. of the computer. The only Prime thing they'd be doing is turning it on and off so they wouldn't damage the machine. It's, it's a game selector. Yeah, uh, meant to save wear and tear on the cartridge slot, huh? You got it. Interesting. So, and, and that's the thing is, now we understand why the multi-pack was so badly damaged. I mean, badly damaged. There's a slip of the time. So badly designed mm. with the idea of thinking of having multiple interrupts and multiple this and, and, and what have you. So I always thought yeah, it was designed so you could put scotch tape on a cartridge and then dump it to a floppy. <laughs> well, that worked on the regular cartridge board too. So. Yes, yes, that's something that yeah. <laughs> Give me back those flashbacks of people pirating my software, white right <laughs> Yeah, you uh, weren't a big fan of the six eight micro journal back then, I'm guessing. <laughs> no, 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 no. I I never bought a copy. Yeah. 
Uh, we got joined in the live chat by Mark Siegel. Hey, Mark. He says, you may want to move the camera to the right side of the Tandy Center. Yeah. Um, Bruce Moore is the one who produced that. I'm not sure what artwork he has or what his stylistic motivation is, but we'll, tr we'll be sure to pass that on to him. He might have had to stay one stock photo he found online to work with, and that might have been the only angle he had available. We've also been joined by the Timberman himself, Ron Delvaux. Hello. Hello, Ronnie. Hello, how are you doing? Um, good, good. You're coming in a little hot there. A little over-modulated. I, I have five multi-packs. You have five multi-packs. You've got, you make up 1% of the 2% sold. <laughs> <laughs> That's where all the stock went, Arizona. Is this better now? It's a good place to keep them, though. Yes. That's yeah. better, Ron. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, actually, we have more today, some... Almost 30 years after Tandy stopped producing the machine, we yeah. have more options now for multi-packs than we did back then. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah back then we had the two. We had the, the Alphaware or ColorSoft or whatever the heck they're called that did their PBJ pack, which was six right. slots, and, and the Tandy one. And, of course, Jim has to go to eight slots. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> And with an option, you could do 16. I, yeah. I, I couldn't go eight. Mine explode. Nah. <laughs> Yeah, Dave, David Ladd just about wet himself when he heard that. So, <laughs> Go yeah, big I, or go home. I did see the slopper at the booth. <laughs> People drooling over that's, it. That's what that puddle was. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't yellow. <laughs> <laughs> so I must have been there before David got well, there. Uh, you know, at the at the fortieth oh. at the fortieth anniversary of Cocoa Fest, we might have that problem if we're all wearing our adult diapers. You know, so <laughs> somebody's got to yeah, leak. And, and they're turbo walkers, <laughs> just leaving this little trail behind. You can follow the yellow road. No TMI, TMI, TMI. And this just went to the dumpsters. <laughs> what do you mean, just went? <laughs> it's been over How a year now, honestly. <laughs> Well, that is, and, uh, that is pretty interesting. Um, just going on the um, Coco Forever thing about Tandy being the winner or whatever or, um, market leader in, in the 80s, they were actually, uh, well, maybe not the leader, but they were right up there uh, up till towards the end of the 80s. Uh, not so much with, say, with the Coco, but, but they weren't they the number one PC seller in the US at the time like the Tandy 1000s were considered to be one of the most popular home based I guess PCs like they really had yeah, the market I think they were the Tandy 1000 was one of the top ones and even before that I mean the Tercity Model 1 when it first came out I think yes, it was that first yes. time being it was the top seller mm. too it, it so, outsold the Pet and the Apple 2 yes so it really it really um they really were the the leaders yeah. at the time as the video is trying to right, the right, right. trying to say it's just that they dropped the ball, I guess. Um, yeah, repeatedly. Towards, yeah. yeah. Well, what happened really is IBM decided to walk in there and that age-old attitude of, well, nobody ever got fired for buying IBM just stuck. And so people were buying IBM personal computers right and left because, you know, literally See, they I, couldn't, I don't know if I'd quite couldn't get fired for making a wrong decision. Yeah, I don't I, think I don't it was quite IBM. Agree with that, though. Oh, go ahead, Nick. Yeah, I, I think that's when the uh, – well, here in Australia anyway, we had the big glut of uh, Taiwanese clones. Mm -hmm. So you were able to buy a PC for 
for a lot less than a Tandy 1000 or a lot less than any other PC. Mm. I, I know this because I used to work for a company uh, in in the before I started working for Tandy. Um, I worked for a company that imported uh, the parts, and I used to be a, a PC clone builder. And there was literally thousands of, of millions of these clones coming out at a very cheap price. It basically took over the the market of of, of everyone, really, not just Tandy um, things, yeah, but even Commodore IBM and everything. Yeah, that even was, that IBM was going to be my point. Actually, was the same thing. Was that it's it's not the IBM PC. The IBM PC took over the business market. I think like the Tandy Model Two and stuff went to the wayside after the PC came out. But it was way too expensive for a home user. Mm. When the clone market hit, when the compacts and the Dells and everybody else started coming in with the cheaper, much cheaper versions, that's yeah. when they really took over the yeah. home market. Well, even IBM saw that the home market was going to be a pretty good market. That's why they came out with the PC Junior, which was a flop. It was yes. flop because business wasn't going to buy it. Their 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 business model was set up on corporate. Yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. like you said, no, nobody ever got fired for buying IBM in the corporate market. But I mean, the home exactly. user could care less. <laughs> I yeah. think they're trying to tap into the home market because you know it's like what you have at work, but you know for home. Yeah, but it's just that they had that infrared keyboard that if you walked in front of it, it would stop working. And yeah. infrared chiclet keyboard. A chiclet keyboard. There's another one. Look at Ron holding up a Hershey chip there. What's going on? <laughs> oh, I said it too. I thought it was a chocolate bar. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> he just ate it. 6809. He's, he's now a cyborg. Crash. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I, when I, during my time working as a Radio Shack salesperson around 86 to 87, I sold a bunch of Tandy 1000s. I sold much more Tandy 1000s than I did Coco 3s, and they were both on the uh, same shelf space. Um, I think what started to happen was MS-DOS kind of established itself as a standard where we, mm-hmm. we, we had this time where there were so many different, you know, you had Apple, Atari, Commodore, you had all these different things, but there wasn't a standard. So I think the the uh, PC-DOS, MS-DOS established itself as a standard. I think competitively, the Tandy 1000 was priced much less than a PC-XT, which is what its counterpart was. Um, it, there were some value-added features. It had music from the PC Junior. It had 16 colors from the PC Junior. And I think Tandy was pretty smart to include Deskmate as a um, kind of productivity suite to come with it because most people didn't know how to use a computer. Most people were not going to be doing a DOS command prompt type thing to do it. So in fact, you could fire up Deskmate and have this, you know, all your little programs under one roof, which would later become like Microsoft Works and then become Windows and things. Um, I think the timing was great for, for that product to be there. I think there was the value added of the extra software. The fact you could buy it from Radio Shack. Radio Shack had credibility. Tandy was a name you could trust. And you could speak to somebody in the store about it. So I think there was a period of time where, yeah, the Tandy 1000 made a lot of sense to buy, both on the competitive price as well as the value-added software and support you got with it, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. software and hardware. Yeah, and they were pretty good quality PCs uh, manufacturing-wise. You know, they were mm-hmm. well-built and well-styled and everything. They didn't look like just a cheap tin box like a lot of the other right. Taiwanese clones. It was like a reputable-looking machine. Right. They were a bit under-specced, though, uh, compared to the uh, what was coming out in the Taiwanese uh, markets. I mean, mm-hmm. Tandy was selling XTs when everyone else was moving into 80s, for example. 
Uh, Tandy still had CGA graphics where everyone was just moving into VGA graphics or EGA or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so they were a bit behind technologically, I guess, uh, to what the rest of the market had, but um, they were well built and I, I liked them. Um, yep. They were good. I, would, I, I remember I always wanted, wishing that since Tandy was moving towards MS-DOS, I thought, why don't they make a Coco 3 or a Coco 4 as a card, plug it into a Tandy 1000, and that becomes your new Coco 4 or whatever. So that way they're still selling their Tandy 1000, and you can still have a Coco by, by um, accessing it via the card, similar to what Apple, Apple did with the Apple II cards. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. Apple, in the Mac LCs, yeah. Yes, the LCs. You just plugged in an Apple II card, and, I, I, uh, yeah, it, I don't think those ever sold well. I mean, we were just talking in, you know, in the chat about the CPM cards. Plus the Z80 and, and actually run CPM software. But I, and there was other ones like there was a 6809 card for the Apple II that you could run OS 9 on, the yeah. Apple II cards that you could put into the Macs. But I don't think any of those were good sellers. Nobody wanted to buy two computers. The, uh, Even if the you could Apple fit on one S. Yeah, the Apple II cards went really well for schools because that let schools upgrade to the Macintosh, the low-cost LCs, and then still use their Apple II software. So the card would go in there, have a little cable. Did, came that, out did that happen much, though? Because the, the schools oh, up here that I saw with the Macs, not a single one bought Apple II really? cards. They just ditched all the mm-hmm. Apple IIs and switched over. Hmm. Okay. Well, I, you know, it was, it was a transition thing, you know. I mean, not everybody would, but that was what they were yeah. intended no, I'm just curious. That maybe it was more popular in the States or, or in your area. I just was curious. Mm-hmm. Though. mm-hmm. Uh, personally, no, I don't remember seeing them, just the Apple IIs. But. Well, one of the things that the schools were very much interested in with the Macs is they were an all-in-one unit, effectively. You didn't have the ability for the kids to uh, you know, get in there and start yanking cards out of them and stuff like that. They were screwed together. And, and that and was, that was one of the main reasons why the schools wanted them. Mm-hmm. Of course, here in California, Apple was trying to put something through where if they donated a computer to the school, they got... 200% credit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. That, that didn't go anywhere. Yeah. I remember work, working in the shop, too. The The screw head you needed to open up a Mac was an, a proprietary screw tip, too. So you couldn't just open them up. They weren't designed yeah. to be uh, worked on by the civilians. Sorry, Nick. Um, I have a lot of schools also used um, TRSA model, uh, model 3s as well because of the all-in-one case. I remember mm-hmm. a lot of the colleges over here had TOSA Model 3s uh, well, back in the day when they were teaching BASIC. Um, so, yeah, Tandy had a, a bit of a foot in the door in the education market as well with the Tandy mm-hmm. Model 3s being all in one. Well, the Model 3 was definitely the one that was supposed to be more professional for business, for schools and like that because of being all in one unit because the Model 1 they were just patching as they went. They developed the machine. They thought they were only going to sell 5,000 of them, and that's all they made. They had one for every store, and they figured they could use it. If it didn't sell, they could use it as the computer to do their accounting on each store. But then they found they needed more capability, such as a floppy drive, so they made that expansion pack. And, God, that was a nightmare. Kind of like Talk our multi Disney tech. What? <laughs> kind of like our multi-pack. Yeah. I'm old. It, trust me, it was worse because half the time it didn't work the connection because you had a cable 
unshielded cable that went from the back of the Model 1 and plugged into the expansion port. And then you had this humongous board that all the signals would propagate to, to the memory, to the floppy disk controller, and the RS-232 card that you that went in. And it didn't plug into like a regular, like the Coco slot, you know. It actually used pins that it pushed up on. And you had a terrible time with the, of it making connections. So the RS-232 is the most unreliable thing in there. And the thing was a nightmare. And eventually, Tandy had to come out with a special buffered cable that went between the Model 1 and the expansion pack. Hmm. And everybody that bought expansion pack, they had to give them that buffered cable. And it was not cheap for Tandy. They hmm. pretty much wiped out the profits on the first year sales of the expansion pack they went through a lot of learning <laughs> well that that was literally a pioneering thing when they made the model one that the original trs-80 was mm -hmm. that was engineered that was completely an original engineered design it, not like the motorola reference design of the coco mm -hmm. they had they had to they had to come up with that so um that in itself is pretty to, impressive, yeah. They didn't meet the new FCC approvals, too, when they came for your radio frequency noise coming out of computers. Mm -hmm. That was, I think, the last one they made that actually didn't meet the spec. Yep, you had that. Oh, I mean, it was just the Model <laughs> 1 was a nightmare. The Model 3 was much better because it was a single-board computer that had everything on it already. I have a Coco 1 that has a sticker on it from the Rochester school system. And uh, also, I think this came with it. Remember oh, that, when they used uh, this device to hook up? Yeah, the network controller thing where they hooked oh. up to 15 or 16 computers at once. Yeah, mm -hmm. I have this in my collection and a oh, whole wow. bunch of cables. <laughs> wow. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of like a mux for serial cables? Yep. It was cassette, yep. wasn't it? I think it used cassette port. Yeah, it was cassette. You're yeah. correct. Cassette. Okay. Yep. I have... Uh, this Coco One has the Chiclet keyboard, and the uh, edge of the Coco is really worn, so it must have been used quite a bit. Ah, uh, like the palm rest? Yeah. Because yeah, I remember you'd have one master Coco, which would have the program you're lo loading off cassette or something, and then it would automatically transfer to all 15 other computers at once. Right. Hmm. Pretty cool. Interesting. Yeah. So, but it, it's kind of interesting. We've talked about all these different ways of plugging things in and stuff like that. And Tandy's only concept for that multi-pack was so kids wouldn't have to unplug and plug in their cartridges. Yeah. That's the reason for the multi-pack. It's just like well, they didn't I, understand the scope. I had mine pretty well loaded. I had a floppy controller. I had the Orchestra 90 speech sound pack. Um... And then at some point in time, I had an X-pad in there, too. So I had a handful of things in my multi-pack. Starting to feel like David Ladd right now. So. Yeah, you'll, you'll need Jim Brain's eighth slot here, I think, is what you're saying. Yep. But I never got into RS-232 stuff. I wasn't a modem guy in the days of the Coco. I didn't get into modems until I got the Tandy 1000. Um, well, you missed a lot. There was a ton of good BBSs back in the day. Oh, I yeah. I logged into the Coco one starting in 83 plus CompuServe. Mm -hmm. Oh, How's yeah. It's just 07, 31, 22. Yeah, the BBSs oh, were a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, see, yeah. back in the day, Stevie wasn't social. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Hello. And not much has changed. <laughs> anti-social, yes, but... Yeah. Uh, I never said he was anti-social. Doesn't yeah. wasn't much social. 
Well, we I haven't been able to acknowledge this yet, but I'll take a moment here to acknowledge that Dave Phillipson has joined us on Skype. Hey, Dave, how are you? He's asleep. Well, yeah. Still working out the probably mic yep. problems. Mm-hmm. I think I just heard you there, Dave. Try speaking again. Yeah, am I on now? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I had to use an iPad, um, so I'm not. I'm you know wireless, but it seems to be working okay. All right, hey, yeah. welcome, welcome to the show, Dave. Thank you. Very, very cool. Uh, all right, so what what have we been talking about? <laughs> <laughs> We've been talking about Tandy so why, why did Tandy do that on the multi? Why did Tandy do that? Multipacks and TRS-80s. And, and I already wrapped it up so we can go yeah. on to the next thing. We did. We've been talking about a lot. How about we um, How about we'll take a commercial break? Uh, I'm not sure if, we, if you want to tell us a little mini life story or not, Dave, but you'll have time to decide. We'll take a commercial break, and then we'll come back. And if you'd like to maybe introduce yourselves to us on the panel as well as those watching at home, uh, you're, you're not obligated to, but if you want to, we'll figure that out when we come back. And then we got news to cover, too. So we'll be back in just a moment, folks. Mine's garage, as you can see. Color computers. Coco Chalk. Stevie Stroh, what can you ask for? This is the best. Our fellow Americans, Australians, Canadians, Europeans, and all of you ands, I'm calling on all y'all to help us make the world great again by visiting the Retro Swag Shop at 8bit256.com where you can get yourself a coffee mug like this with a little cute cartoon uh, character. I'm this a cocoa nut. You could also get yourself a coffee mug like Keep your this comments to yourself there, Greg. That says, I'm a cocoa nut. You can get yourself uh, a deluxe. When did Greg sneak? One like show. This, One show and it goes to his head. Logo on it. You might even be able to get yourself a DVD. Yeah, like but this, this one's got to go. Two hours of gameplay goodness. I got to make new commercials. For us to rise up and make the world great again by enjoying yes, some less quality retro this, uh, merchandise uh, and cocoa nostalgia. So please visit 8bit256.com and let's make the world great for the color computer. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Peanut butter, banana sandwich. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes. Well, speaking of the retro swag shop, shameful plug, real quick. Here's my one of my newer collections here. So this is my original gamer shirt with the insert coin logo, which is very cool, arcadey. And this is the uh, jersey style. I actually like these jerseys. They're very, very comfortable. Very light material. Very comfortable. So yeah, I got the um, the uh, insert coin original gamer T-shirt from the Retro Swag Shop. I think there's another promotion going on with the T-shirt shop now too. I think May fifteenth, you're going to get like fifteen percent off your entire order. So if you're getting ready to place a bulk order on T-shirts and coffee mugs, hold off a couple of days and then go to 8bit256.com and get fifteen percent off of everything. Um, so Dave uh, Phillipson, do you, you you mind giving us a little uh, origin story? Is that okay if we put you on the spot? Sure. So I guess you can start um, with what you did back in the day and then fast forward to what you're doing now as retro being a hobby. Yeah, so um, I live in Illinois, and way back in the 80s when I was just a young man, um, <laughs> I roomed with a guy, a couple of us guys roomed together, had an apartment, and one day he came home with a, I think it was a 32K color computer. I was like, wow, that's cool. I didn't really, you know, I was always, I've been interested in electronics since I was a little kid. 
but uh, he came home with his computer and plugged it in and started playing around. And so when he'd go to work, sometimes when I'd be home at the apartment, I'd fire that thing up and start playing with it. Well, in a very short amount of time, I was marching down to Radio Shack by my own, but I had kind of limited funds, so I bought a 4K Color Basic computer. And before too long, I already had the, you know, I had the screws out of the bottom of the thing, was playing around trying to figure out how to expand the memory. And as you might remember back at that time, uh, the uh, there was a big shortage with dynamic RAM chips and all that kind of stuff. But I do remember buying a set of chips for $50.00 and upgrading my Coco 1 to 64K and even I can't even remember it too well but I remember piggybacking the chips inside and all kinds of wires and stuff and then there was some kind of method that somebody came up with to bank in the RAM and copy your ROMs to the RAM and I figured all that stuff out and was playing with that and then I got Editasm and uh, I just really got into it real fast but that was probably around 1980 or so um, and so when I, yeah, I was playing around with assembly and stuff and the had a cassette. I didn't have a disc drive or anything, but when they first announced that OS nine level one was coming out, I went immediately went out and bought it even before I had a disc drive because I knew I wanted it. And that was just incentive for me to finally get a disc drive one day. So. I got the OS9, it sat on the shelf for a few weeks, but then I found somewhere, I, you know, it's been so long ago, I can't remember, I found a full height, five and a quarter inch disk drive and got a hold of a disk controller and fired that up and I thought it was the greatest thing and the whole idea with multitasking and it was just, you know, it blew me away that this Coco, little Coco, could do so much more than uh, anybody else, really, at the time. And... Um, so I didn't really do that much with level one. I might have written a few little programs just to test the waters out and see what I could do and what I couldn't do. And I kind of got busy with work for a while, moved to Texas, and that's where I picked up my uh, Coco 3 when I was down in Texas. I was in my later 20s. By the time that came out, I don't know, what year did the Coco 3 come out? 86. 86. So I was probably about... That probably got it in about 86 or 87, I imagine. And so I was about, and I lived right down there by uh, near Fort Worth and used to visit the Tandy Warehouse, their national parts and all that stuff. And they'd have all these tables full of junk that was kind of like a flea market. But anyway, um, so as soon as they announced level two, I went out promptly and bought that. And that's when I really started getting interested in OS 9 programming when I got the level two and got the you know, the books and everything and started really looking into it and experimenting with it. And that kind of led to, at that time, BBSs were very popular. I mean, I was playing around dialing, you know, doing dial up. Uh, at that time, I think 4,800 baud, 24 or 4,800 baud was pretty much the um, price point where most people could afford to get a modem. And, um, I thought, well, you know, we really need something for the Cocoa. There's a few terminal programs out there, but I had a, I had a little clone, IBM clone, PC clone that I had picked up somewhere at a flea market, and I liked this one program called Procom Plus. Oh, yeah. You guys have heard of it. Oh, so yeah. So I thought, I'm going to make something kind of like this for the Cocoa under OS 9. I thought, you know, I'm not going to waste my time on 
disk basic because there's just not very much disk space to work with files and all that kind of stuff. So I thought OS 9 would be more fun. And I think I got a Burke and Burke at some point in there and got an XT drive, Burke and Burke controller. And uh, anyway, so yeah, I developed the Supercom program, which by the time it started becoming popular, um, somewhat popular, I don't know exactly how popular it became really because I kind of left the scene I got involved, I moved back home to Illinois, I got involved in uh, doing programming for big theme parks and amusement parks where you're doing the programming for the robotics and the show control stuff. I linked up with a company in Iowa. I'd met a guy when I lived in Texas and I quit my job down there and moved back home to Illinois and was traveling around all, you know, all over the world doing these theme parks. And I even did some stuff here in, uh, in the States, in uh, Orlando, like in... Um, uh, Universal Studios back in 1990 before they first opened up I was helping uh, the guys working on E.T. the Dark Ride on um, Hanna-Barbera's Fantastic World which was a motion based ride wow. and all that kind of stuff but we were developing it it was all being developed on PCs so I wasn't really I was writing stuff in C for that kind of stuff and we were having a lot of fun and doing a lot of cool stuff and so I kind of got away from the cocoa for a number of years. And um, to make a long story short, a uh, uh, couple, two, three years ago, I don't know how I ran across it, but I saw something with on the Internet with the cocoa 3 FBGA. Now, I'd heard about Nitrous 9 kind of in the back of my mind. I'd heard about it here and there over the years. And then I heard about this Cocoa 3 FPGA, and I kind of started getting inter interested in using the FPGA to synthesize a 6809 because all of a sudden, hey, you know, you could use a 6809 and you weren't limited to 2 megahertz. You could go up to 25 megahertz. And that's like, wow, that's a big, big step. I'm, and I'm coming from a, the standpoint of a guy who's done some embedded controller-type projects, a lot of stuff in our, in our show control things that we did. We used a lot of 6502s, and we did some projects with 68HC11s, which is somewhat similar to 6809. In some ways, it's a 6801 variant, but, you know, uh, didn't do much with the 6809 because it just kind of came to a dead end with Motorola. didn't really take it any further and make any microcontrollers out of it or make any faster speeds available and so on. So anyway, when I got saw the information about the FPGA. I ordered some uh, little dev kits off of uh, eBay, started wiring some, hand wiring some things up, and I got one of these, uh, it's a little system called Multicomp that a guy named Grant Searle dreamed up, a 6809 computer, VGA display, keyboard, and so on. And then I kind of got hooked up with Gary Becker, and we started emailing back and forth and testing some things out. And one thing led to another, and so that's kind of where I am today, just kind of getting back into the hobby. And mostly, I, I still have three real Coco 3s. Um, one of them has got a Coco SDC in it and a 512K expansion. The other two are just kind of sitting on the shelf right now collecting dust. But I have them for whatever I might want to use them. They're brand new. They're just sitting there waiting for me to use them someday. Hmm. Very cool. Yeah, and, and I remember using Supercom quite a bit back in the day. There, I, th I think the two main ones we used was OS Turn by Von Cato and Supercom by you. And yours had the built-in 
call to you know fire up Z modem as soon as it received the receiving string automatically, so you didn't have to like manually try to initiate it, which was as you said like Procom Plus where it was automatic. So yeah, and that was actually something that was added after um, I left the scene by a guy named Randy Wilson. Oh, that's he right. Yeah, integ- I forgot he took it over, didn't he? Yeah, he integrated. He called or he texted me or I don't know how it was. He got a hold of me and, you know, I was kind of off in my own world. And he said, hey, uh, I've disassembled your whole program. Do you mind if I do a few little modifications and get Z-Modem going on it and release it to the folks? And I said, yeah, you're, you're fine. Go ahead for it. And so that's how it got integrated. But some of the stuff that I did on that was uh, there was a young guy down in Texas that um, played around with the Coco, those acquaintance, acquaintance of mine. And, you know, I kind of was just the programmer that sat there and implemented things. And he says, well, why don't you try to do this? Why don't you try, you know, can it do this? Or why doesn't it work this way? And I'd add in there, you know, he and a couple other guys that were in the uh, club down there in Dallas called Daltrug. Uh, one of the guys was named was Lee Veal, who had the um, Coco One serial number one. one. Yep. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that's kind of how that came about as far as i know he still has it though he lives in mexico now or maybe he'd moved back I, somebody was telling me he might have moved back to the states yeah but... I, I talked to him a couple of years ago and he was i think in oklahoma he'd been in mexico his wife died and i think that really he had a hard time with that and uh, i haven't heard from him for a few years now but... cool and not you're, not, not you're, with that situation. Yeah, I, and you're going to be doing some more assembly language programming now on Cocoa and Cocoa derivatives? Yeah, I've been playing around a little bit already with the Cocoa 3 FPGA. I'm kind of intrigued by some of the new features that Gary has added. So basically, I don't know if you, uh, a couple of years ago or one or a couple of years ago at Cocoa Fest 25, he came out and showed a little pro demo program that I'd written where we, um, you know, it started up in a 32 column mode, Coco three and everything. And then it bounced into the 640 by 450, 256 color mode and put some, uh, basically a full character set of the, uh, what, you know, the standard ANSI line drawing characters and everything that we used to use on the old IBMs and everything back in the day. And, um, kind of demonstrated what was some basic fundamental ca- capabilities of the Coco 3 FPGA. So I've done a little bit of that, and I did a little bit of work on um, a BMP file viewer for the Coco 3 FPGA that, uh, you, you know, was uh, – I didn't. I don't know if I – yeah, I think I posted it on the Yahoo group, but um, so just some things like that. But I, I do see an interest – I do have a little bit of an interest in this – P-term thing. I'm not sure for sure, 100% sure if I'll move forward with that, but if it looks like it's something that a lot of people would like to see from yeah. the Coco, it might be a cool thing to uh, use in one of these little Wi-Fi modules, the ESP8266, mm-hmm. and then you could connect to the internet and, uh, you know, on their uh, this P-term, basically a P-term terminal that connects to this uh, server that uh Toastman has got running. I rot on mine. You rot so on you start, yeah. Would you start with new code or would you springboard from your existing terminal program? It's Supercom, right? I'd probably just start with new. I mean, huh. I've probably I've changed my style quite a bit since I wrote Supercom. That's been, two, uh, what, 30, almost 30 years ago or so. <laughs> so. 
Tell me more about your high-res uh, program. Have you seen Sockmaster's High Color 2? Uh, no. It turns bitmaps uh, into uh, to view on the Coco 3. If you uh, go to uh, the Coco Facebook group, I've uh, shown a whole bunch that I've... <laughs> yeah, here's one of them. <laughs> I've done a whole talk, bunch right? of... Uh, shoot. Yeah, I got a shaky hand. Yeah, this takes a, a BMP file and turns it into a high-res. Yeah, that's okay. good. Yeah, I don't know if you do a quick search on um, YouTube, Coco 3 FPJ. You'll probably find a, did a little quick video of the BMP viewer I did. Work. So Gary um, added a mode to the the Coco 3 gym, gimme, if you want to call it, that's synthesized in his Coco 3 FPGA, he added a 640 by 450 mode. The reason he used 450 is that's double of what the 225 scan lines were that were mm. originally available on the Coco 3. And 256 colors, so uh, one byte per pixel. And then he had a palette since the... Um, Altera DE1 has a 12-bit uh, DAC on it. He has, he's got a palette register, so you can actually choose 256 colors out of 4,096, I believe. Hmm. Um, but anyway, yeah, we uh, I really haven't done a whole – well, I've done not a whole lot with it. Like I say, the BMP viewer, I did that, which isn't really fully implemented. It was just a test thing that I did. And the uh, demo program I get, did for Gary on that. But it's really easy to program. And Gary's got some extra stuff in the Coco 3 FPGA that allows you to um, bypass the MMU. So, in other words, if you want to, you're talking about a 640 by 450 screen, that's 288,000 bytes of screen memory there at 256 colors. So, that's like, you know, a big chunk of memory. And normally you would have to switch in banks on your MMU and look in those banks and write to them and so on. But Gary came up with a 24-bit register. Uh, so actually, it's a 24-bit register and an 8-bit register. So you write the address in 24-bit format into the register. And then whatever you write into the write or read from the 8-bit register is a direct read or write to that address in <clears throat> virtual memory. That 24-bit address, and you can also turn on auto increment so that every time you write or read into that 8-bit register, it'll bump the address pointer. So you can do some, and I did use that trick in the um, some of the stuff I did to make things happen a little faster on the graphics screen. That was uh, some suggestions I'd given Gary um, back uh, several years ago. I suggested things like accessing RAM directly that didn't require banking of RAM, a way of accessing the entire memory 512K. And, and that's what he came up with. And I also was asking him about a blitter. So he, that incrementing and auto-incrementing and stuff was, was what he came up with. So, yeah. yeah. Now, it would be really cool. He, uh, you know, he... Gary's got his, his plate full. I mean, he's he's still working full time job, and he's you know this this FPGA FPGA stuff isn't exactly easy, but um, 
you know, you could even take that a step further and create a blitter where you put in a, a, a source address and a destination address and a block size and whether you want a linear copy or whether you've got like a or you're, if you're going from a linear uh, array of data to like a graphic array that's in a block or a square shape or something like that, and you just hit go, and it takes control away from the CPU. And with the FPGA, you can actually do a memory copy much faster than the CPU could itself. And so you could create a even more powerful blitter with that. But what he's got, I mean, the thing is nobody... I don't think anybody other than myself has even programmed anything that takes advantage of what he already has. So I don't think he's in, has a lot of incentive to build a lot of new functionality into this thing because as it is, you know, there's not a lot of progress on moving forward with it, even the way it is. And that's the, and, the, and that that's one of the big problems about all these sort of add-ons. Who who support it? You're right. Yeah. You're the only you're the only one who has. <laughs> Yeah, and there's also competition between Gary Becker's and Roger Taylor's, and Roger's been adding extra stuff on his too, which uh, him or Bill Noble could talk more about because I don't I don't have one, but Bill does, and it's the same thing. You know, you, he's added like a math coprocessor functionality and stuff to it too. So, Sound but now you've got two standards trying to compete on on this at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of unfortunate. I wish the I, I think Gary started his project first, but I wish, uh, and I don't even know, maybe Roger did follow some of the same um, things that Gary did. You know, I don't know what, what kind of compatibility is there there is between the two, but, you, you know, like um, Curtis says, you've got two different factions here. You've got one, the people that are following Roger's and the people like me that are following Gary's project. Probably not a lot of uh, uh, mixing in between the two. Yeah, it's they're they're neat projects, but they're also I think very niche. Uh, yeah. So um, it's cool that they exist, though. Um, no, that's interesting stuff, and um, I'm glad I got to get, learn a little bit more about you. And um, hopefully, we'll have you. You know, we're not we're not done today, but yeah, you're always welcome back on too. So make sure you join us anytime you like. Um, cool stuff. Um, real quick though, just to switch gears for a second, I want to acknowledge a few people in the live chat, um, some comments that came in earlier and that are now a little bit out of sync with where we are in our discussions. But earlier when we were talking about the Tandy 1000 and compatibility and that whole line, nobody ever got fired for buying IBM, um, James Jones had said that that line actually came from the 360 and 370 big iron days and too bad it got carried long enough to damage the personal computer world. Uh, and then later on, uh, Mark Overholzer was saying IBM did make solid equipment, but the, when the 386 came out, IBM was still trying to work on the 286. Yeah, that was interesting that, you know, I think Compaq was one of the first computers that did release a 386 processor. They actually got ahead of IBM yep, instead of trailing they were, in that area. They were yeah. the first one I remember seeing. They were the yeah, first yeah. machine out there yeah. with 386 in it. Yeah, so I remember selling Netware servers on those machines when they came out, Novell Netware. Um, yeah, cool stuff. So, yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry, guys, in the live chat. It's kind of hard to interrupt when people are talking and stuff, but I just wanted to make sure we acknowledge those comments. Well, we're definitely glad to have you um, back in the community with us, Dave. I noticed we've, I've seen you on Discord, but there's there's names that I'm just not as familiar with. I'm somewhat new to the community, and, and I've got huge gaps in my own personal history because I, I lost touch with the Cocoa around 86. And so everything What's that Dave's last name? 
Philipson. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So most of the stuff that happened in the Coco three time and the night in the OS nine time, I, I just I wasn't riding that wave. So it's all kind of new to me. So I find it interesting and I appreciate uh, appreciate hearing some of that. Um, anybody have anything, any questions for, for Dave while he's here before we move on? Anything else or any anecdotes you want to add to some of his topics? Drive by. Drive wire, drive Two week, two weeks in a row. Some some deep technical discussions here. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing like some legitimate topics to uh, spruce up the show. You know. Well, you know, uh, there was one, there was one thing I was uh, alluding to earlier when I ch- uh, texted in on the chat, and that is, um, you know, the the whole thing with developing programs for Disk Extended Killer Basic, it's a little. Uh, a little difficult um, because there's just not a lot of uh, resources available. And I was thinking, hey, I've got a Coco SDC in my Coco 3. And I just verified this last night. You can actually set up, uh, mount a drive zero with an OS 9 partition and mount a drive one with a disk basic partition, boot into OS 9. And even though you can't do directories or anything from within OS 9, that um, other partition is accessible through OS 9. So why not, you know, uh, have the ability to develop assembly language programs under OS 9 where you have more resources. You can have big text files. You can have a fairly powerful assembler, things like that. Assemble the code and put in the proper headers which is nothing it's just a few bytes at the beginning and the end of the file so that it can load as a load m under disk basic and save that from os9 into the the coco sdc disk basic partition and then you just reboot your your coco and i guess remount the drive under basic and test out what you've assembled under os9 because under you know under OS nine we've got eighty column editors already. Some of them aren't the greatest, mm-hmm. uh, but you could have a uh, you could have a source. I mean the what the largest single sided floppy drive you can use in um, this extended color basic is what around one hundred and sixty k. We got files some files source files that are bigger than a whole floppy disk. Oh but my can, dear. Under OS nine you could <laughs> compile a file that big easily. Wow. So you're actually talking about doing like cross development on the totally Coco. within the Coco within yeah. the Coco. So you're doing your your editing and assembling on OS nine, but then you're basically creating a an RS DOS binary. Yeah, and that's then interesting. It would be, yeah, and it would be easier than the way everybody else pretty much is doing. Or I shouldn't say everybody because I think Nick does it with Editasm or something like mm-hmm. that. But yeah. Um, a lot of people are using DriveWire. You get you edit the file on the PC. You assemble the file on the PC. You copy it back over DriveWire onto the color computer. And it just seems like, well, you'd have right. two computers running with a That's kind, Rick of Adams. A, yeah. kind of a slow connection between the two. DriveWire, I can, when I've seen how fast the SD card can run, DriveWire is yeah. considerably slower. And you just do it practically instantaneously. You like that, flip a switch, and you're over in basic and running it. So it's just an idea. Yeah. No, that's yeah, actually well, that's kind of cool. 
but the thing is, if you're developing in OS 9, you might as well make your final product for OS 9 because then you got the extra resources that are available under level two. Yeah, that's true. But I'm just saying if you want to, you know, there's a lot of guys that pretty much are stuck in extended color basic and they don't want to get involved with OS 9. And there are programs mm-hmm. that can still Hi, be written. Hey. Or, you know, <laughs> yeah, but you've got the ease of, use, of use. ease of use project. Yeah. No, I think it's an, it's an interesting idea, though, for sure. Yeah. And, and, and Curtis has been getting a basic 09 arm to run faster and easier to use as well. So why use assembly? You could use basic 09, which is a, a faster than extended color basic and not quite assembly uh, level, but you can still create an OS 9 basic 09 program that runs quite well. Yep, or you can use a combination of both. You can write some yeah. subroutine modules for Basic 9 in ML that you can speed up stuff. Yeah, or in or in C. If you're uh, yep. you're into C programming, you can use or Pascal C, so. or Cobol or Fortran. There's a bunch of stuff no. for OS 9. That's right. <laughs> Gradually work your way up to uh, running Intasm and RSDOS like I do. <laughs> <laughs> or is that the other way around? <laughs> is that backwards or forwards? <laughs> yeah, I, I, Does I M-Shell like... read uh, M- uh, RSDOS? <clears throat> Sorry? Does M shell read RS DOS? Yes, it does. That's yeah. in OS9. There, there's a there's a couple of programs. There's RS copy, there's RS DOS, the utility, um, M shell all can read directly RS DOS disks. And read right and two, I should say. Yeah, yeah, yeah great. I'm just making sure. Is your head okay? My head's fine, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for asking. <laughs> the you RS more acronyms? Is a- that's a command line utility, RS-DOS. Is that right under OS 9? Yeah, it, it doesn't come stock with OS 9, but it's been available since like 1987, yeah. 88. Actually, around the same time you're old Supercom. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. No, I like the idea because it's kind of a hybrid. Right now, a lot of people are talking about doing cross-development on a PC and then porting it over to the Coco that way. This mm-hmm. is kind of a little bit more of a compromise where somebody wants to do it on the Coco, you still can, but now you've got a little bit more robust tool set, a little bit more robust environment to do your editing and assembling in and still create the uh, RS-DOS binaries that are bare metal. Um, I, I like the idea. I think it's kind of cool. Um, yeah. I was able to follow it's, along, so it wasn't too technical. <laughs> well, there, there's also the development of using the PC where you're not using a second computer because you're running an emulator on the PC yeah. for the Coco, and you can get about 95% of the way there, and then you should test out on the final product. Yeah, yeah. Actual Coco. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And then, David, I will mention the source code for ASM, like one of the assemblers, uh, is available. It's on the archive, and in fact, it's commented in spots <laughs> from when we were doing the modifications for 609. So you could actually you know, add some features to make it compile straight to an RSDOS without having to write a, a third-party utility on top of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Although That's not even I, that big. I think it's only 6K assembly program, so. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool stuff. All right, how about we'll take another quick break and then we'll get on to some news topics. We got a bunch of news and maybe we'll start off by hearing from Paul Thayer since he's here. And Paul's Paul's one of the topics in the news today with his uh, current project and his blogs. Uh, so we'll do that and we'll come back with some news. All right, guys, hang in there with us. Hi, this is Randy Kindig of the Floppy Days Podcast. I just love me some cocoa and nobody covers it better than Steve Strobridge. You're listening to Coco Talk. What's going on? 
going on, everybody? The original gamer Stevie Stroh here, and I want to talk to you about Amacoconut.com. If you love the color computer like I love the color computer, then you got to visit Amacoconut.com, your one-stop shop for all of your Tandy color computer links needs. There you'll find links to blogs and podcasts and project sites and emulators and downloads and groups and communities. If you love the color computer, head on over to Amacoconut.com. That's I-M-A, Coconut.com. Tell them the original gamer Stevie Stroh sent you. Coco forever, people. souls enter, only the most cunning return. Defeat innumerable monsters to ransom the king's scepter stolen by the evil wizard. Your sword, shield, and wits are your only allies. Pray you find a magical inn as your only respite in the forest of doom. Tiny color computer one, two, and three. November 2017, if you dare. All right, boys and girls, we are back, and we are now into the news segment of the show, and I'm going to play a cool little sound clip here for us, written by our own L. Curtis Boyle. Yes, party on, Wayne. Party on, Garth. Um, so yeah, excellent little rock tune there as we break into some news. A uh, couple of things going on in, in the news this week, but as we get into all of that, I'm gonna jump over real quick and um, and we're gonna look at um, Downland Two development blog by uh, Paul Thayer, who happens to be with us on the call right now. Paul Thayer. Author hey, of Timberman, the Rondell Vos story, uh, also available on the Lifetime uh, Movie Network. And um, so tell us a little bit about Downland 2 in general. Um, this is a project you're working on, right? Yes, sir. It's my little side trip away from the Buff Commando one that we have talked about a couple times on the show here. Um, I was kind of happy to notice uh, when I posted the blog that Eric Gaverluck actually liked it. So that, was, that was a bonus from the start there's, there's some rare praise <laughs> so i was like all right cool great this project um, might not be doomed from the get-go <laughs> right exactly um i don't know i mean i played a lot of downland as a kid it was the first game that uh my brother tim had ever gotten for the I think we had a Coco 2 for a little while, and then I believe my dad bought us an, the Coco 3 in 87. But I uh, just remember playing Downland a lot as a, as a kid. I had the Black Beauty joystick, so it really sucked for playing that game. Mm -hmm. Yep. I realize that now. <laughs> Back then, it was just, like, frustrating, you know. But uh, I don't know. I always kind of had, you, you know, um, one of the greatest things about retro video games is what they leave to the imagination, right? Right. So playing it. Uh, today's games, a, a lot of that is gone. You know, you can't imagine anything because what has been imagined is already on screen. Right. Uh, but anyways, uh, I just wanted to do a, a new Color Computer 3 kind of twist on the game. Still have some of the old classic um, things that, that it has or elements that it has in it and add a couple 
couple new things that I've thought of that I'm going to add. Uh, I don't want to elaborate too much on those because I kind of want to try and keep them an Easter egg for the most part. But Sure. Yeah. Um, in fact, I even pulled some of the uh, sound effects from the original Downland. Okay. Because splatter, the splatter effect is just too funny to yeah. leave out. Frank. Yeah, it's it a real boinky goes, sound. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and so I decided this time that I wanted to try and make a blog that was a, like probably more detailed than some people might like. Okay. Uh, but one of the things that you know I wanted to do a little bit differently, I learned a lot of stuff from like Nick Morentes's bro- or uh, Morentes, sorry, his blog. I learned a lot from Glenn Hewlett's blogs and stuff like that myself. And so I thought I would add a little bit of code and like kind of teach some elements of assembly as well to to try and kind of give back to the community. Um, You know, Simon spent a good two years of his life struggling through teaching me a lot of the things that uh, I'm, I'm laying out in this blog. And now I'm not going to say that they're best practices for everybody or anything like that. It's just a method I use. And uh, you know, if it helps get people started, Mm-hmm. Awesome. Right. You know, and then they can take it from there. Right. Right. Is there anything else you wanted to know, man? Well, your latest <laughs> your latest blog post is about compiling sprites. And, and we've talked about this a number of times on this show. And it's been a, I think it was a host discussion or a tech segment on the Coco Crew podcast at one point in time or another. I don't remember. But we've had Glenn Hewlett on here talking about this. Uh, John Strong has talked about this. And so... Um, I'll just start off by saying what I think the definition of a sprite is based on, you know, arcade hardware and, 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 and computers that had sprite hardware. But right, so your sprite is kind of like your foreground object, right? So if you're playing Pac-Man, the little chomping mouth, that's the sprite. Um, and the idea of a real sprite is that it's always a foreground character. It does not erase the background, which is nice. Um, and uh, I believe a sprite also has the ability to be aware when it comes into contact with another sprite or another element, right? So it has some form of collision detection built into it. Um, and all of these things exist in the form of hardware on arcade machines and on a lot of 8-bit systems like Atari had sprites and uh, Commodore had sprites, TI had sprites, um, but the Coco does not. So whenever we created a game or a game was made and there were objects on the screen, there was no hardware to do this, so people had to do very clever software to create these objects and create the ability for a foreground and background plane to exist, etc. Have I done a good job explaining what a sprite is, essentially? Yeah, I mean, I mentioned that in the blog, too, and kind of like the couple of different uh, varieties that you have of sprites and a couple of the choices that you have on the color computer. And I even mentioned the fact that, you know, the color computer didn't come with support for hardware sprites. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you look at a lot of the home systems that did around that same time, the, the, you know, the color depth and the sizes were usually limited. You couldn't vary sizes. You couldn't vary color depths from my experience of the ones that I've seen. Sure. Um, anyway. And so I think that, you know, um, it's a, it's decent not having it there. You know, um, Tandy left a lot to the imagination of the programmer, too. You know? um, <laughs> right. so, but essentially, you got like a couple of different believe. ways. You got a couple of different methods you can use on the color computer for sprites. I mean, you can pull mm-hmm. off a buffer and render to the screen. Um, but that data transfer takes a lot of time, especially if you're going to mask things. So com- compiling, just writing assembly instructions to draw it, 
is the fastest way. And there's so many different strategies on, you know, I mentioned in my blog that it's like, it can be on a line per line basis, what you're going to do, you know, what method of, you know, whether you're going to stack blasts, you know, pull from some registers and and push them onto the stack in a reverse order because it takes less cycles and you're going to be able to do that same action in the next line. Cool. Let's go that way. Or if you're going to directly load values into a register and put them on the screen. And I find myself a lot of times too, even like, so let's say you start at the top, right? And you work left to right and top to bottom. Sometimes I'll start at the top line and say, oh, I got a lot of the same values in line number 17 and I'll jump down to line 17, draw that there and then bounce back to wherever I need to go from there. So you don't, you don't always like, you have to kind of change the way that your mind thinks sometimes when you're manually compiling sprites, because it's not always left to right, top to bottom, like you're reading or drawing, you know what I mean? Okay. So it was kind of a cool way to think. And I thought I'd share about, you know, some of my experience in that. And I've used some automatic compilers, which is awesome because it saves so much time but i have to pull graphics out of my editor save them to a disk put them into the compiler and then usually edit the compiler's output anyway so i'm still doing them manually okay so using excel and gimp and uh notepad notepad to code and then lw assembler to assemble and then check it on the emulator make sure i didn't make any mistakes that's pretty much the process okay. that I wrote, wrote 15 million pages about in my blog. <laughs> <laughs> I had to take some stuff out because I was getting overly detailed too, you know. Right. So. No, that's cool. and, and It's been kind of fun. The, yeah. the blog's kind of slowing down progress a little bit, but right, right. it's all right. Right. It's, when, it's like, when do you get to uh, program? I mean, are, do you work every day? I do work every day, yes. Um I spent a lot of time. I spent a lot of my free time programming. I'm not gonna lie. Like then, probably four to five hours a day, I actually end up getting probably wow. three to four days a week. I get that much time, wow. which is nice. Yeah, I'm jealous. Yeah. So, uh, so am I. Yeah, that my big, wife is, big thumbs up from Simon in the background there. Yeah. Yeah, my wife's so. a good supporter of it, and I still pay, you know, a good port, a good amount of attention to my family. <laughs> okay. You know. In mixed in with that, so yeah, I'll you just out. decide when you're gonna sleep. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> yeah, I usually yeah. go. Well, I get home around like three thirty, four o'clock from work. Um, I got a promotion a while back where uh, the whole eight-hour thing was kind of like you can do eight hours if you need to. If you don't have to, you can do less. So that was kind of cool. So that opened up some of my time too. Nice. So I get home around three thirty, four thirty. Nobody's home. I'll I'll code for a while, have dinner, watch TV, and then maybe code for another hour before I go to sleep sometimes. Yeah. So yeah. I got plenty of time. <laughs> cool. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that's a you picked a cool game to do because um Downland uh definitely was a game that left a lot to the imagination. The whole kind of spelunking uh, motif of that game was kind of cool. The fact that everything was just like a wireframe outline, nothing was painted in. So you had to kind of imagine that, yeah, I'm standing on this platform and I'm in this cave and I'm at this elevation. Um, it was very minimalist, the style of, of the level design, which was kind of cool. Um, very quirky on the controls. Your, your angles had to be just right to jump and to land. And if you landed wrong, you freaking died. And if you got hit by a drop of acid, you're freaking screwed. I mean, oh, that talk about rage moments playing down. 
Poundland. Uh, don't don't get me started. Um, and I think I, the controls are pretty good, though. I mean, now that I play it on a Tandy Deluxe, okay, it's a lot yeah. better than it was um, with my beauties for sure. And I never played the unofficial sequel, Cave Walker. I've seen that David Ladd has posted a couple videos of Cave Walker. I've never played that game. Um, there's kind of a cool game on the Xbox 360 called Spelunker or Spelunky or something like that. And that game very much reminds me of Downland a lot. Mm. Um, it's a little it's more of a parallaxing um, platformer too, but it's very cool and it's actually procedurally generated, so it's never the same game twice. Pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm I love to have keyboard control for the uh, controls ah, on this. Excellent, excellent. But yeah, you picked a great game to create a spiritual successor to. Uh, can't wait to see what you've done with it and the fact that it's going to be in, you know begin to transcend beyond the p mode four for color you know coco three revival is kind of cool are you yeah, gonna make some of my objects even are appear to be rotating like the diamonds spin now instead of just being stationary oh, i thought it'd be kind of a cool touch the keys yeah. too yeah but what were you gonna ask ron are you, are you gonna make a booklet for it just like you did with the oh one? you know it man mm. <laughs> absolutely well all out production cool. Yeah, being that this is kind of the community episode, I definitely want to acknowledge, you know, like one of the great community contributors has definitely been Simon Jonason. Um, despite the fact that he uses sawtooth patterns, I still think he's a hell of a nice guy. <laughs> um, he has helped out you a lot. He's willing to help out everybody. Um, his contagiousness of support has trickled onto you because you helped me with a tool that helped me generate my pseudo sprites for my basic program. Um, John Strong shared with me a tool to help me do some disc editing. So, yeah, there's definitely a lot of community stuff in action going on here. The fact that everybody's helping each other and we all kind of get, uh, we're all stronger for it. Um, your blog, I will definitely read one of these days. <laughs> I'm, yeah. glad I, I'm glad I have you here now to give me the audiobook version of it. Um, yeah, Glenn Hewlett's, Yeah, Glenn Hewlett's <laughs> blogs on optimizing assembly. I will read one day once I understand assembly. I need to learn how to do it in a non-optimized way. <laughs> the, the one thing that I wanted to do with my blog, too, was a lot of people are so intimidated by assembly language man and i myself i was included but as soon as you take the dive it's mm. like it becomes just like basic was mark hold up your class. cat we need we're gonna have three cats on screen right now we're gonna break the internet um <laughs> where's my cat where's my cat uh we got two She's cats missing. on screen right <laughs> we're trying to go for a coco cat record here yeah no it's kind of cool that these resources are there and i know a lot of people have an interest in, in assembly or learning assembly so whenever somebody takes that plunge they'll have blogs to absorb um like uh glenn hewlett's and yours and i noticed that you referenced glenn hewlett's blogs in yours so that's kind of cool um that these resources are out there absolutely um, he's a good friend of mine I haven't talked to him in a little bit but, yeah uh, yeah yeah there's ron delvo's dog pearl so we've got now a dog yeah. we've had at least four cats and a dog on the show now so if i can just interject one thing though in regards to learning assembly uh-huh unlike basic you got to know the hardware ah, yeah absolutely yes. that's yeah. true yeah and I just, just like to say that no no animals are harmed during the making of this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a guy at my work. Uh, he works in our components lab who is uh, making a single board 68,000 computer. And I didn't even know this until one day he was like, so what do you do for fun? And I was telling him that I programmed 6809 assembly. And he's like, why? 
And, uh, <laughs> and I was like, because it's really fun, you know. And then he's like, well, check out this project that I'm doing. And it's kind of like he's making a single board 68,000, you know, computer. And it's like I could ask him the same question. Why? Yeah, why? You know, because yeah. it's cool. It's retro stuff. So he's yeah. he wants he's challenged me with learning some of that and, and doing some programming on, on his single board. But he hasn't really expressed what what his goal is with it. Yeah. But I know he he was able to acquire a lot of components through our work. Um, he paid for them himself, but he got our discount discounts. So okay, yeah, he's I don't know, it's pretty crazy. But I looked at that, and that has like a thirty-two bit, like thirty-two bit registers, and mm-hmm. there's like I think yep. there's two sixteen sets of them or something like that. A total of sixteen, yeah. but a couple of them are, are semi-reserved. There was yeah. some I was reading that said something about blocking off like the top eight bits and only using 24 and i don't know i was kind of confused i'm not a real big technical guy so sometimes that's for the addressing stuff. memory addressing oh okay so it only addresses memory in 24 bits right but the registers the original 68,000 yes yeah okay the, the later models like the 68,020 could do far more than six and then 24 bit memory addressing Cool, thank you. Because like I was reading that, and I'm like, "What the hell does this even mean?" And because <laughs> sometimes when I read technical stuff, I'm like, "Duh!" And my brain pulls apart. <laughs> yeah, basically, the, the yeah. address registers are 32 bit, but you only had 24 bits of memory you could actually address. So the upper eight bits you didn't mm-hmm. use. I see. So it's kind of like almost like a gimme on a color computer three a little bit. Mm-hmm. There might be more memory than you can access in addressing, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it was a flat memory model. You had eight 32-bit data registers, eight 32-bit address registers. So really nice compared to programming an x86. Yeah, a lot yeah. of the the, the uh, op codes and stuff, I mean, I think that's probably pretty common uh, among all assembly languages. But yeah, Well, they... more, more so for Motorola. The thing is, their design philosophy was to keep it similar between their chips. That's the uh, reason why you could slide so easily from the 6809 to 68000. They were both being developed pretty much at the same time. Yeah, 79, 78. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, I got to so... learn a lot of his hardware that he's, that he's putting on his buses in his computer and everything else, too. So... That's I just was mentioning that to kind of emphasize your point, Steve. That you got to know what hardware you're working at, where, yeah. Yeah. where and where it's at, you know, yeah. in in memory, it's like yeah. that. And there there was a reason that all three of the Coco fours that were proposed when Tandy canceled the Coco three all used six eight thousand or their derivatives, because mm-hmm. it was it was a nice easy step for six eight nine programmers to go to. Yeah, yeah, and there was OS nine sixty eight K as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, and and the thing true about Motorola is when it came to addressing information, you could pretty much use any instruction for it. Where the Intel chips, it was like English. There's always an exception to the rule. And there wasn't that case for the 68000 or the 6809. Yeah, like if you wanted to do a certain type of an operation, you had to use this register, but not these. Exactly. Mm, Interesting. Yeah, I think Uh, those Motorola CPU uh, engineers, uh, especially like opcode wise or whatever, I'm not sure how that all works out. But they were they were really clever in in the way that they thought about things. And uh, yeah, I just I like them. That's all. It's just that a few engineers didn't think they were that clever. So they went off and they built the uh, 6502. 
Boy, was that the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah. The 6800 came first, didn't it? Yeah. So Rick Adams just pasted a link in the live chat to some assembly code. I think this is for the four-voice music. This was a question that came up in the Facebook oh, group okay. about doing uh, multi-voice music. And, um, you know, uh, some some trolling happened, some heated discussions happened, some insults were thrown. Um, but, yeah, I, d- I did kind of want to not have a terribly long show today. We're, we're definitely we're at two hours right now. But what I think I would do is let's take a very quick commercial break. We'll come back. We'll talk about um, hopefully a brief discussion on multi-voice music and then maybe wrap up the show for this week because we've got Simon here. Simon was part of that discussion. Steve was part of that discussion. Rick's here in the live chat. Um, thank you, Paul, for sharing a little bit of that, Paul Thayer. And, oh, yeah, sure. um, and I posted a link to your blog um, in the live chat, too, on YouTube. And anybody who's a member of the Color Computer Facebook group can also get that. All right, so we're going to take a quick commercial. Uh, we'll, real oh, real sorry, fast, Steve. though, I yeah. do want to say something to Paul before he goes. Yeah. yeah. Is that you were trying to message me through Facebook. Yeah. I don't do Facebook messaging. Yeah. But if you want to pick my brain, just go to Discord. We're on almost every night. I got to figure out how to do that, but I will do that. Yeah. Thank you. Do Discord. I think if you get over to Discord, you're going to find that you're going to it's going to be a great outlet to find the answers that you're searching for. Yes. All right, cool. It's a little addictive. <laughs> a little? <laughs> yeah. You're not you're not hanging it's up a, yet though either, are you? Paul, you're going to No, I'm not that? going anywhere okay. right now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But that's yeah. all good. Thank you, Steve. All right. Okay. We'll be, we'll be right back. Yes. Then thank you, Steve Bjork. We'll be back in just a minute. Hello. This is Grant Leedy with Coco Talk. Got your Coco 3 yet? What's going on, everybody? Stevie Stroh. And I want to say thank you for continuing to watch and listen to Coco Talk. This guy's annoying, isn't he? doing the show. We think we put yeah. together a pretty Always. good show for you. But this <laughs> show could be better with your help. Yeah, you never so shut up. If you would like to send a feedback, a comment, a suggestion, a show topic, or maybe even your own little segment or bumper, it's not then send it to us via email. The show would be nothing without you. Love to hear from you. Yeah, note to self, don't record videos on a bad hair day either. So, yeah. um, yeah, gotcha. those, Looking like I was wearing a hair piece in those videos. Well, at least you, at least you have hair. Yeah. <laughs> Rick Adams says he yeah. likes my Bill Clinton impersonation. That was, that's that's one of the worst Bill Clinton impersonations ever attempted. But um, all right. So there was there was a topic in the Facebook group. Who posted the original topic? Who asked the question? Do you guys Gerald. remember? What was about that? Gerald. Gerald. Yeah. Who asked the question about uh, how to do multi-voice music in assembly? Originally. Portuguese guy called Jaro. Okay, Jaro. So he had asked a question, and uh, people attempted to um, answer. Uh, and I believe Simon had answered and, and shared some code and, and was viciously attacked um, and whatever. But it was an interesting thread. And I think the moral of the story was somebody was asking how to do it. Simon chimed in. I believe Steve Bjork chimed in. And then Rick Adams also shared some of the assembly code because when he did multi-voice music for Temple of Rom, he used code that Dale Lear used, which I believe they said they got from one of the magazines. It was Hot Cocoa or one of these other color computer news so somebody had posted you know years ago here's how to do multi-voice music on the coco and so it was an interesting question maybe we can spend just a few minutes talking about it the uh the idea behind it what does it mean and and what are some ways to achieve that polyphonic sound on a 
Computer without a sound chip. <laughs> Void of silence. Yeah. Well, the, co the code that's running requires 100% of the CPU. In other words, it can do the sound and only the sound. And that's part of the key of its operation is that it is able to run basically four oscillators, which is what tones are. Each tone is an oscillator. And it's able to define it well enough at the CPU's full power that it does create a inverse uh, sawtooth wave of the different notes being mixed together. And it works fine. Wow. And um, But that's the key to remember is you have to do it at full speed order to get the full waveform. Temple of Rome actually uses something else, and it doesn't create a sawtooth. It actually creates a sine wave because I disassembled it today. Right. And the code that's there could also generate a sine wave if it used a lookup table like the way Temple Rom did. Well, uh, Temple of Rom uses actually a, uh, a uh, frequency lookup table, and I do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yes, but it also looks up a sine wave uh, file because if you just do the numbers that are calculated, what they're going to do is go from zero to... Uh, 63 for the 16-bit uh, DAC and then go back to zero again. But if you send that information through a lookup table, you can then emulate a sine wave, which does sound better than a sawtooth, inverse sawtooth wave. I, I, I do beg to differ. I do beg to differ because um, I use my ears a lot of the time. Yeah, well, the problem is speakers cannot reproduce a sawtooth wave or inverse sawtooth wave properly because you're going from one extreme to another instantly and you need that time for the speaker to respond and you can get bounce back on the speaker so that's the reason why you try and use something that's more akin to a sine wave yeah that's more in tune to what a speaker can reproduce yeah well, when yeah. you think about it every any musical instrument, the human voice, they may not be perfect sine waves, but they are all forms of a rounded kind of a wave and not squared off or like a triangle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I mean, if you look at it, if you look at it from, from the point of view, if we look at something like the SID chip on the C64, you've got four different waveforms. Mm -hmm. You've got square wave, you've got the sine wave, you've got the sawtooth, you've got noise. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these components make up what is speech, what is music. I mean, how can you turn around and say something is correct? You can't because it's it's it's. Uh, oh, how do I put it? It's um. Oh, it's about the individual. I mean, what you hear. Mm -hmm. I mean, you might be hearing. You might be hearing undertones. You might be hearing. Uh, with with uh, inherent sawtooth stuff like that. you might be hearing undertones, but if the musician understands what tones interfere with each other, you can actually produce more sound than you would with a straight sine wave. Yes, that is true. But uh, we're looking at very basic systems that are mixing different tonal qualities together on the fly, and when you do that, a sine wave is much better for the final output. Usually, though, when you use a triangle wave, you send it through a filter. So that it can take um, 
when it hits the top and comes down, it can do a little bit of rounding that makes it the speaker reproduce it better. Well, I, 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 don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I don't. It's not because I don't believe you. Yeah. I don't believe you. I just I, I, I tend to use I tend to use my ears. I mean, my musician yeah. um, made a tune as an XM module on a PC. Yeah. And the the Coco faithfully reproduces that tune mm-hmm. given the routine I had. Actually, your routine doesn't reproduce it properly because it never reaches maximum or minimum um, amplitude that you're trying to generate when you're using a higher frequency tone. Something in the area of about uh, 600 to 1,000 hertz will not be reproduced because your sampling rate is too slow for that routine to work properly. As I said, the machine is using 100% of the CPU and generate it, and it will get through there. If you look at the numbers that you use to do your summation, you'll find that you're looking at much larger numbers than what uh, is in the thing that Rick Adams posted. And what happens is, is the tone goes up. Uh, I don't have my video on, so let me put that on for you, because I'm trying to use my hands to help describe a little bit. As the tone goes up, you want to be able to make sure that you reach that same amplitude every time. And then as the tone drops, you want to make sure that you get that same minimum amplitude every time. If you don't, what will happen is the triangle wave will get larger and smaller as it's being reproduced with that lower frequency because you're not always getting the actual wave. You're getting a a portion of what you're trying to shoot for. That's the reason why the low tones do work better for you. But the second you start raising your tones up, you're not always going to reach that high point. You're not going to always reach that low point. And you get this artifacting in there. And that actually generates a second or third wave that will become a distortion on the primary wave. If, so, if the distortion, if the distortion is planned by the musician then it's not a problem right let me let me interrupt here for just a second because i think what we're now starting to talk about is some specific examples of maybe what uh, are you everything you're saying right now steve york you're commenting on an example of code that simon posted uh, yes that was posted in facebook so 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 let me just get back to the original question though because he was basically asking how do you create multi-voice music on the Coco. So rather than the semantics of, of Simon's particular example, how about mm-hmm. we just try to um, talk about that topic uh, in a okay. general sense on, you know, and, and let me start by saying what I think I understand and what I thought I understood back in the day. So from the way I understand how the Coco does sound, it obviously we know there's no synthesizer, whereas, you know, an Atari had actual four voices of music. The speech sound pack gave us actual multiple polyphonic channels. So everything the Coco is doing is somehow being done through software trickery. Um, because the Coco is using a DAC, it's, you're doing digital audio conversion, so you're and essentially you're creating a sample, right? Using software to create a sample on the Coco. Actually, I just want to correct you on one thing. I wouldn't call it trickery. I call it hard work by the CPU. Okay, hardware hardware by the CPU. Okay. No, hard working. Oh, hard you know, working by the CPU. But yeah. But so, but you're writing software to tell the CPU to make the DAC make sounds. Is that a fair generalization? Yep. Yes, um, you're trying to you're trying to actually emulate the sounds 
okay. by putting so, numbers out on the DAC. So let's start with this. When you do the sound command in BASIC, and I say sound 128 comma 1, and it makes that boo, that middle C sound, what is the Coco doing to make that single voice sound? Do you want to take that or you want me to take it, uh, Simon? You take it. You take it. Okay. Basically, in the Coco Basic, they're using a sign table. Okay. And it's running yeah. through the numbers of the sign table at different speeds. Now, it will skip certain numbers of the sign table based on the frequency that you want. Exactly. And it, but it's trying to emulate this wave, and you get your tone. Now, the, it, the, sign table, the sign table does actually a quarter of a period, a quarter of a period, and mm -hmm. it's the same sign table used by the, the cassette. cassette. Okay. And it's fixed point numbers. Mm hmm. It makes it easy for it to calculate. See, if the computer was just to go from zero to 63, you would have, a, you would have what's known as an inverse sawtooth. You just go straight up the line. You'd go up and then immediately go back down to zero once you got to the top, basically looking like a sawtooth. Mm -hmm. And in the case of uh, what you want on the cassette, because you're looking at magnetic storage, you want a sine wave to record correctly. They discovered that on the Model 1 when they were doing cassette saves, they're going from zero to one back to zero again constantly. And that was causing a problem for the system to record correctly. So they put a sign table in there. Well, since there is already a sign table in there, they use it for creating the audio too for when you hit a tone. Yeah, but they use some funky interrupts shite as well. Okay. Yeah. So so when the Coco's built-in basic ROM sound generator was working, it's doing a sine wave, right? And a sine nice. wave, and the reason why it's called a sine wave is if you were to look at this on an oscilloscope, it looks like the humps, the rounded humps going up and down, right? Uh, uh, humps, humps. Right, but, but a round hump, right? So the sine right. wave is smooth, round curves on the, on the oscilloscope, whereas the square wave is your ups and downs like your digital, and then the sawtooth are basically like shark teeth pointing up and down, right? So if you were to look at these on a scope. And you um, could see how this would be very easily done for a single note. Right. So so what the Coco had done out of the box, if you were a programmer in BASIC, is you could generate a single tone. That single tone was a, a sine wave tone. It was a single voice, meaning not more than one sound at once. It was monophonic, if you will. And in order to, in order to generate that sound, it completely consumed the CPU. <laughs> That's how I understood sound to work uh, as a kid. Now, what the arcade games did and what some of the uh, uh, more skilled assembly language programmers did is they took what BASIC gave us and they were able to produce better quality sound of vari variety of different sounds and the ability to produce more than one sound at once. So without getting into specifics, what's a general explanation is how do I go from that one sound to hearing two sounds at the same time? Well, as you're doing the one sound, you are doing basically a calculation to bring it out. And the problem gets into is when you want to do a second calculation, how do you get it so that it doesn't distort the timing of the first? You've got to have some sort of loop that's going to take the same length of time 
to do it, whether it's doing one sound or two sound at the time, and et cetera. And that's the code that Rick posted basically has two oscillators that are nothing more than adding numbers together. Okay. And then it takes that information, those numbers together, brings it, and puts it out onto the uh, DAC. And lo, lo and behold, whether it's actually producing a tone or not producing a tone, it takes the same length of time. Because when you're not producing a tone, you just add zero to zero, essentially, which does okay. nothing. Okay. It doesn't change. But if you add, uh, keep adding this number to the summation number that you keep adding over and over again, that moves the point along. So it is a way to have two things happening at once without changing how long it takes to calculate. And that's the key to doing multiple audio tracks. Okay, I think I understood 1% of all that, but that's okay. okay. I'm not I'm not I'm not a I'm not an engineer or anything else, but um, okay. let me try to get, go ahead Simon, you're going to say something. Well, it's just, in in oscillators. And your oscillators are basically saying, "Okay, I'm going to add a frequency. I'm going to add and add and add, and all of a sudden I'll have a carry." Right, and when the carry trips in, you know you need to warble. So it's a case of you take, say you want to play something back, because I, I essentially I use a timer IRQ where I say that my timer is set at 7.875 kilohertz, which is essentially every other scan line, which is half of H sync speed. Um, so you make a frequency table based upon that. You take a musical note, say A4, 440 hertz, right? You take A4, you divide that by 7.875. It gives you a number. You divide that by 8, you times it by 256. It gives you a 16-bit number. That is your frequency counter. Okay. Can I chime? <laughs> can I chime in? Trying sure, to make sure, sure thing, Nick. Yeah. I, all right. <laughs> Multiple sound. Take three. Take. Th <laughs> now we're gonna hear the uh, we're gonna hear the it's upside down version of it. Here's another upside down version of it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We're talking. We're talking four voice uh, sound. Let's say. Okay. We've just explained how to do one voice and we know the DAC is six bits in size so okay. that means numbers between zero and 63 yeah so let's make a wave whether it's a sine wave square wave triangle wave even a digital sample whatever that one channel sound is going to be uh, six bits in resolution right so yes. there's your one channel sound and you throw that out to the DAC and that's one channel. Okay, let's do four of them. Let's have four separate channels that, that are doing that. That yeah. means four separate values of 64. Uh, let's now add those 64, those four values together. 
Now, if each of those sound channels were just on all the time, they would be the value 63 constantly. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't be making a sound, but that would be the maximum volume that a sound would be. So if each four channels were 60, were, were maximum, maximum at value of 63, and we added them all together, what do we get? We get 200 and what's... 56. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Just throw that total value to the DAC because um, we said that there were bits, uh, six bits. Uh, the DAC uses bits um, zero, one, two to seven, doesn't it? Upper yep. six. Yeah, it uses the upper six bits. So if you have four channels and each of them is zero to 63 and... and um, you know, they alternate within those values, add the four values together, and that will automatically move it up into the upper six bits. So you can just dump them to the DAC. And by all the whatever mathematics or whatever, however they, they work, um, they mix together. Whether it's accurate or not, it still sounds like four channels. Uh, that's a, a simplistic way of doing the four channels. Yeah, it's very simple. And fast. And fast. Yes, 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 don't get me wrong. It's very simplistic. But what we do have is is one channel. Essentially, we're having cumulative values of, of multiple channels. Let's just take two channels. Yeah. have cumulative values. Of, and each, each oscillator will produce a carry at one point in time because we're just – adding and adding and adding until we produce an overflow and that will be stored in bit nine to carry um and this is what we're actually portraying to the DAC um you can use that if you want a sinus wave you can use that as a lookup into a say a 256 byte sinus table or a triangle table or a noise table or whatever you want to it's not 256 byte table. Well, yeah, the table well, can be any length you want. It's well, the yeah, maximum value is 0 to 63. Yeah, Nick, 256 and, is a nice number because you can just fiddle the LSB. Ah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it loops around. All right, right, so I want to I want to see if I can paraphrase what Nick Morenti's just said. So let's let's say you have uh, if you have four if you had four different samples for sound and you break them yep. into bits and you you see what they look like in a binary um, pattern of zeros and ones. So now you take all those different patterns of the four sounds and you overlay them and you kind of mask them together. You have one kind of composited stacking of these bits and that final. Um, layering becomes well, one set of data you send to the DAC and it just knows to make four distinct sounds automatically? You're yeah. not overlaying them actually because that, that would that would require you merging the, the, the values together. You're no. adding them so they're actually you're ending up with a value that's greater than 64. Ah. Um, so look, look, two channels, if you only had two channels and the maximum value in each channel is 64 and yeah, you add add two of those, you would have 128, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, now, you can take that value, but you would have to shift it uh, into the upper six bits because that's where the DAC is. So mm -hmm. what's that, two shifts or something? Uh, so it occupies bits two to 
uh, seven, uh, and and you and that that's it. You can you throw that to the DAC and you'll have two channel sound, but it's not it's not overlaying the values. You know mm. what it's, you would do there. Uh, is so it's doing a binary add instead of a binary doing an merge. Ad. It's just okay. doing a normal add. Yeah, that's okay. right. Um, yeah. And then it's cumulative addition. So there's, so yeah, there's, that, there's, so there's the like there's like math going on here. So well, really, you just basic. have to add the values together. Yeah, you don't have to exactly. shift them. The only reason you shift them is because you need to get them in the upper six bits. The, yeah, okay. the DAC is in the upper six bits. Not uh, really. And that's Not why it. I say four channel is easier because you don't have to do the shifting. Uh, you just add four values together because the maximum value can't be more than uh, whatever, 63 by 40, I mean, whatever. It can't be more than 255. Right. Uh, so it automatically is in a position ready for the DAC. So you do save on, on two ships. Now, um, there is one problem you will have there, though, and that is, of course, um, uh, you, you can get some stray bits going into bits of zero and one, um, mm -hmm. which is fine. You won't hear those on the speaker, but the serial port will. So oh, yeah. if, if you have a printer... <laughs> It'll start buzzing away. It'll start buzzing away. Or if you have drive by, drive by might do weird I, stuff. I know, I know, so I know what to do. I know Steve. I know Steve was adamant about that, right? I know Steve B was adamant about that, right? Oh, it's but like there's a way around that. You're trashing oh, okay. my printer. You're trashing my printer. But, but if you program the PIA, yes. So that's bit one is an input and not an output. You don't that's have. That's right. So you program your PIA. So those two bottom bits are um, uh, inputs. That's right. So you can go and write data, whatever you want. Okay. Nothing gets out to the PIA. So that way you don't have to worry about it. So you of course, just the, add the problem with values. that, though, I'm going to interject here. The problem with that is after you run a program using that technique of reprogramming the PIA, you better uh, do a, a cold, complete power, cold, power down reboot oh, of the computer because your printer won't work again. Yeah. No, no, but uh, just uh, make reset. So it's a, a cold reset. Yeah, yeah, I do. And, and, yeah. and let's face it: if you're running a game, um, most games lock up the computer anyway. You know, so to get yeah. out, you've got to do a whole hard reset anyway. Yeah. But software-wise, you could just write your software so that sure. you reprogram those bits back. All you need or is the, this, just put a, a warning, a Porter warning sticker on the game. Warning, this game will screw up your printer. <laughs> don't try this at home, kids. <laughs> but the thing is, your code doesn't have to screw up with that bit. When you go to write the information to the DAC, just do an OR number two with it, and yeah, that you, will fix your problem. You can OR A2, yes, for sure. You can OR A2. Oh, yeah, okay. Okay. All right. But, I'm trying to save cycles, so I figure if I did nothing, that's better than doing anything at all. So I, I just program the bits. All right. In a music routine, at 7.8 kilohertz is power arm. Yeah. Right, I'm yeah, going to so call, I... call this one beaten to death at this point. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, so whose explanation was better? Uh, uh, <laughs> number one, number two, or number three? Who's the winner? <laughs> number four. Actually, you two have talked talk about something different. Shift them. Yeah. I, I add all of those by, suggestions together. By, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to mask. You don't have to mask off the. <laughs> the last bit. You don't have to mask off the last bit because that's tape input. That's uh, tape input. Listen, Simon, we don't want to hear any of your demo scene crap on this show. You hear me? 
I'll tell you, you need a woodgie. <laughs> ah, oh, this has been a great topic for somebody. <laughs> he, it's the Murray right. Show. I think this is a good time to put a David Ladd commercial. Oh, Christ. <laughs> Let's do that. We need some comic relief right now. Hold on one <laughs> second here. Oh, my God. Where did he go? Bye, <laughs> Blair. All right. So, yeah, there are are some times when technical information is best served visually. And maybe if we had some pictures to go along with this and some slides or something, it might have been easier to follow. But, yeah, my I lost you guys. I appreciate all the valiant efforts there, but my brain is just not wired to understand half of what you said. But it's an interesting topic. Um, I'm sure it'll come up again. And um It'd be interesting maybe to see some code samples of this. Like, here's some code. I know Simon posted that, but, you know, maybe a company that maybe somebody could record yes. a video saying, here's here's some, here's some a code sample, and here's what it sounds like, and here's another code sample, and here's how we do one sound, here's how we do two sounds. And, you know, maybe write a little program and make a little video showing and letting us see in here what the process is like. That That's how I would probably absorb it a little better myself anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, but, no, that's cool. Oh, actually, Bruce Moore just joined us. Hey. Bruce Moore, you got you came here just in time for Jim Brain's favorite part, where we're about ready to wrap this show up. Um, we did play teaser number three, though. Oh, okay. We did. We cool. got it in Thank there. You. Yeah, I noticed David Ladd was on there, and he said, "I like breaking things." <laughs> surprise, surprise, right? And we lost Curtis. Yeah, Curtis had to leave. Curtis had a hard out, so we didn't get a chance to say goodbye to Curtis. I, he just said, uh, "Sound waveforms, add, divide, multiply." <laughs> Uh, no it is an interesting it is an interesting topic and it's something I've always uh, appreciated um, is hearing you know cool sounding music in in games and stuff Um, and there's there's been a number of examples of that and and um, hopefully soon we'll get to the point where we can do it in hardware too and not have to rely on as much on the software Uh, so Bruce anything you want to tell us before we uh, uh, wrap up this train wreck um well i mean you saw the trailer so yeah there, there's there's Release you know state. the dark side mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> things might not go so well. on got any theories on full voice music you can be explanation number four <laughs> okay, <should I? laughs> please don't <laughs> no, no, no more theories. Sine sign, sign waves are of the devil, though, I'm, I'm pretty sure. So I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm good. I guess I'll, I'll catch the replay. I, did, Grant's asking for a release date, but like I say, I'm, I'm, I want to make sure I've got, I've got it all kind of hammered out. I think I've actually got, um, for Coco Forever, I've got, yes, all the external voices other than my own. I think that's all in the bag now, so... Uh, I just got to uh, crank out the rest of it. So, excellent. Um, I'm I'm feeling I'm feeling good. I'm episode five is is underway. So, and I've got bits of other episodes done too. So, great, 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 great. 
All right. Well, there's, there's no there's no better way to bring a show to a close than to talk about uh, four voice music. Apparently, so. <laughs> I just would like to add one last uh, thing. Interestingly, on the Coco Three FPGA at 25 megahertz, uh-huh. I was able to reproduce 16 bit audio at 44,100 hertz. Yeah. Uh, so basically, CD quality because they got CPU horsepower to do that. Wow! With a faster CPU. Doesn't the FPGA have a sound chip already on it? Yeah, it's, he, Gary emulates the Orc ninety, and he extends that, which was an eight bit DAC, but he also extends that to two sixteen bit DACs, which I used and actually played like the first few seconds of Beethoven's Fifth, and it sounded you know just as good as a CD. And but I was you got to remember, that's not real cocoa hardware. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I uh, what I kind of like to see is 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 uh, some drivers for Ed Snyder's uh, streaming off the SDC, and and see if we can. I mean, that would be cool. I know it would only be probably eight bit music, but mm-hmm. still, still to stream something right off of there, or, or you know, that could be really handy. Yeah, and with the fact that the SDC could be made to hold a, a much larger file than you would normally put on a floppy disk, yeah, makes exactly. it more possible to play uh, some music. Well, it would still only be 6-bit with the internal DAC of Coco, but you could play a lot longer piece because you've got much more storage available. <clears throat> Roger that. Roger that. All right. Well, we're going to wrap up this show. It's been fun. It's been real. And I want to thank everybody who's been here in the live chat with us, too. So uh, we had Steve Bjork in the live chat, Retro Innovations, Steve Powell, Tom C., Ken Can Make It, Disney Saints fan, and Rick Adams in the live chat, Steve Powell, David Ladd, Rob Inman in the live chat, Dave Phillips in the live chat who has now joined us, and uh, who else? Mark Siegel stopped by for a minute and said hi. Davey Mitchell from the UK was here. And Mark Overholzer, James Jones stopped by to see us. Tom C., I think I mentioned. And anybody else? D. Bruce David Moore. Ladd. David Ladd was in the live chat. Nick Morota came by and said, hey, Steve. I'm not sure which Steve he said hi to, but we'll both say hi back to you, Nick Morota. Hi, hi. Can uh, can make it? He says, buy a switch aroo. Why not? Buy a switch aroo. All the cool kids are doing. He was not coaxed it. to say that either. He was not. He's got no vested interest in that. And all, all right. returns go to Jim Brain. Done, yeah. Hey, I bought a switch aroo during the show, so there. <laughs> yeah, you sure did. And I, I once again want to say my own personal thanks to Grant Leedy and Curtis Boyle and company, everyone else who was here on the panel last week who for had a really, really good show. Unlike this week's show, which was a complete train wreck. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe when Grant fired me last week, that should have stuck. <laughs> uh, all right Delvo, thanks for being here d bruce yep. moore dave phillipson glad to have you on the show nick morentes with your mathematical theorems isn't there an actual <laughs> theory called music theory uh <laughs> the coco man was here steve bjork is here uh greg leety is here 
Mark Overholzer, Paul Thayer, the Timberman, Simon Jonason, the uh, Chopper of Waves, the Sawer of Teeth, and the <laughs> co- Coder of Demos is here. And um, we are here. I am Stevie Stroh, and uh, we appreciate y'all for being here. So this is Jim Brain's favorite part of the show, where we start our closing ceremony. And, uh, of course, that is only the beginning of the end, but let's get this train wreck off the rails as soon as possible. So we'll see you here in a couple minutes after the closing credits. Thank you for watching Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. If you love the color computer like we do, then visit imacoconut.com for all your color computer needs. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, then visit our Patreon site at patreon.com slash OGStevieStro. Coco Talk would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. Thanks go to Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Mark Overholzer, Grant Leedy, Bruce Moore, Rick Adams, Rom Delvaux, Richard Lorbieski, Jim Brain, Nick Morentis, Karen Anscombe, Simon Jonison, Wayne Campbell, Steve Batson, Brian Joyce, John Strong, and Barry Nelson. Special thanks to Steve Bjork for production suggestions and Brian Joyce for our Best of 2017 episode. Please help support the Coco community by visiting some of its contributors. The Coco Crew Podcast at cococrew.org. Glenside Color Computer Club, host of Coco Fest at glensideccc.com. Jim Brain and Retro Innovations at go, the number four, retro.com. Tandy Assembly at tandyassembly.com. Cloud9 Technologies at cloud, the number nine, tech.com. Boyson Technologies at b-o-y-s-o-n, tech.com. Bruce is still with us, yeah. Love this song, Bruce. Coco Talk All right. theme song. Copyright 2008, D. Bruce Moore and Greg Schillar. Mix mastered and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Is that full voice music? Uh, <laughs> it depends on if you want to add, divide, or multiply. At least. It could be a sine wave. It could be a Four cosine. I think. I've actually Plus had people. Uh, I've had people co-sign for me on loans before. Do you just do additive synthesis. <laughs> just add the values together to mix them. <laughs> Get ready for that high note. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. This came longer every week. <laughs> you know. I can always provide a uh, short version of the theme. We don't have to use the great, the full length Listen, theme man, for credits. I mean, this is our opus here. <laughs> we don't is, have to. This is the opus. It's Might nice to have all the photos, though. And we got more. We got more. Yeah, that's the problem. We got more. Yeah. <laughs> so listen, it doesn't I matter mean, if you... The closing is the longest part of the show now. Listen, the, I think the lesson here, kids, is it doesn't matter if you like to add, divide, or multiply. As long as you math responsibly, all right. So, <laughs> <laughs> so well, I, I guess I'm a, the the exit of the show has got to be longer because we've got to make Jim happy. That's no, his favorite part. 
Yep, we don't want to lose his support yeah. now. Well, I, I think we really need a do-over. Let's take it from the top, this time with feeling. How do we really make four-voice music? <laughs> oh, okay, oh, if, if we're going to go through the subject again, you got to get the security guards out so they can stop the fights. And visual aids. You have yeah. visual aids. Make sure you math responsibly at home, kids. That's right. Uh, make sure you always get, have a hatchet. <laughs> have your protractors handy. Well, uh, I mentioned earlier my supportive wife, so uh, I'm going to go. So. All right. You do that. <laughs> you do that. Seriously, if you want to pick my brain, get on Discord. Get yeah, on what's Discord. your angle or what do I find you as? I don't uh, know how that Discord thing works. Well, you get part of CocoCock Discord. You know, you get on that section. And I think you can find me real easy because it's Steve Bjork. Yeah. Well, oh, that sounds. Well, we're, we're going to post it in the Skype chat. We'll post you the <laughs> link to join our Discord server. You okay. just have to download Discord on your platform of choice and you join a server and then we'll, 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 we'll guide Steve you from there. Than the web host one. Yeah. yeah like joining I also oh. wanted to share with you some development tools because I knew you were trying to set something up and yeah. I right. just wanted to show you some options in case you didn't know about them. So definitely. But we'll talk that. sometime. We'll definitely yeah. be down in Florida for the next week. So I might end up on there sometimes so. okay hey, actually steve in the facebook group why don't you do a post of the link again yeah. for discord okay yeah i'll Just post it in the facebook group yeah yeah adios guys see ya all, all right, right take, care. Later. take care paul has the recording been uh, stopped or no 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 we're still going we haven't no. done the post credits yet so the stream is still on too we're still going oh. so that, that was the credits we're, we're going to prolong jim's agony as long as we possibly can here oh boy so, uh so yeah so this is rage quit. this is the post credits uh a uh, little bonus content here. But now we have the super-duper post-credits uh, scene right now. So stay tuned for this, boys and girls. And then we'll get back to more fascinating conversations on sine waves and 6-bit edition. Good morning. Super-duper. We're excited to be here even on this our last day. And it's uh, sad in a way, but it's happy in another way that we're only 365 days from the next one. <laughs> So uh, glad to have met Stevie Stroh in the flesh, and uh, hope to meet a lot more of you next time. But until then, let's have fun. Um, hi, I'm David Ladd. Thank you for watching Stevie Stroh. Good morning, Coco Lamb. This is Brian Schubring with Music Man here at the Coco Fest. Having fun fixing issues and making things roll and making lots of sound. Have a great day, guys. Four, four bit Start music. Over. Let's take it from the top. This time with feeling. Hi there, this is Mark Overholzer, and you're watching Coco Talk, the world's leading weekly talk show where you can join in. Hey, come watch us and see what's happening in the world we of We need to get Stevie a tripod. And don't miss next year's Coco Fest. <laughs> hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to Coco Talk. Hi, this is Max Jackson, live from Coco Fest. And you listen to Real Gamer, Steve Shrove. Hi, this is Rick Adams, and I'm the author of uh, Temple of Brom, Shanghai, and now Bomb Threat, and you're listening to Steve Shrove on Coco Talk. Hi, this is Sean Wheatley, and you're listening to Coco Talk, the original gamer, Stevie Stroh. Hi, I'm Bruce Moore, and this is Jacob Moore. Jacob catch it? And we are the Forest of Doom guys, and the Coco Forever guys, and we are at Coco Fest, and we love Stevie Stroh. Hi, it's Curtis Boyle, part of the uh, Coco Talk. 
crew of people, and a lot of us are here down at the Cocoa Fest, having a great time. It's the second day, and we're just about done, so you guys have to come out next year. Hello, I'm David Ladd. Drive by, for Lobbies, Cocoa Drive by, the world's cereal. live Cocoa Talk <laughs> show. Something like that. Yeah. You want to do it over? You want to do it over? That's right. The world's leading weekly Coco Talk show. Yeah, something like that. All right, we're rolling. More you say dry you wire, say, David. more floppies. Yeah, I can't think of any. We need to put on that video a little mushroom cloud coming out the top of his head. I'm just tired. Hey there, I'm Marco Rolzer, and you're watching Coco Talk. Nation, world's leading. Weekly, candy computer. <laughs> Thank you, David Ladd. No, get back up there for one second. Oh, jeez. What? What? what, what? Let's, let's get some drive wire, TTL, no. ESP. No, we don't need any drive wire or TTL. <laughs> Hi, it's Ron Dovo, Timberman, and this is Coco Talk. Minus the propeller. <laughs> oh. Last hour was just the credit. It was only two hours forty-five. <laughs> Here we go. Well, play the credits again so we just make the full three hours. <laughs> hey, that man's got a plan. <laughs> Playing upside down for the second time. <laughs> <laughs> so I can see it. What are you still doing here? It's over. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> There's that guy. Shorten the credits and put him at the end so that everybody knows to go home. Go home. Go home, folks. Go home, folks. Go All home. Right. We have definitely beat this one to death. Yeah, so uh, in Retro Innovation says, selfies with 80s has-beens. <laughs> uh, Tom C. says, it's like a case of repeating heartburn. Uh, these credits are long. <laughs> Ken says these credits are longer than the Return of the King extended edition. All right, so there you go. There's one in every crowd. All right, guys, thank you so much. We've almost uh, broken the uh, three-hour limit. I think we broke the three-cat limit. Uh, we got plenty of cats here, and thank you for and watching. One dog. And one dog, and we'll see you again in the near future. Until then, Coco forever, everybody. Bye bye. Bye bye. Cut. And we're off the air. <laughs> okay. Now what we really think. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> okay, now what do we really think about four verse music? <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 this, let's not stop there. Let's go five or six. <laughs> uh, hey, I, I have a. Qu is it is the recording off? Is it? Uh, you want it to be? I can stop it now. No, is this no, like no, it, oh, I thought it was off. Well, it's uh, off. The, it, it's off the, the air, but I'm audio part of it. Now? Yeah, I'm still recording, yeah, but we're go. off the air. Okay, now I was just gonna. With the uh, talk about the Downland program by Paul Thayer, I tried to run the Downland program on my Coco 3 because I'd never played it. And, of course, uh, the download that I've got doesn't work. It does work on a Coco 2 when I run the main uh, yeah, Coco 2. Yeah, they, they, they patched yeah. it. There's a patch cartridge. There's two different labels. Um, and there was a 1.01 version for the Coco 3. But that, that's a cartridge. Is is there a mm -hmm. working disk, DSK, disk version of it? Or how do we run cartridge images on the uh, Coco SDC? Mm. I don't know how to answer that question. Uh, okay. Well, you get a flash oh, cartridge like Steve, uh, Stevie did. Yeah, the Coco Flash. Uh, uh, Does that yeah. come from Retro? Retro Innovations, yeah. Oh, um, I don't know how to buy anything from him. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. I, I would put I would put a question out on on the Facebook group to see if anybody's got the patch downland that'll run on a Coco Three as a disc image. It's got to be out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah I would think it. so. I'll even oh, check. Well, it I'll, I'll tell you right now. It, it's artifact uh, P mode four. So yeah, yeah. yeah but there was I something in the cartridge it. that would not run on a Coco Three. There's some specific spot in memory. I think what it was is there was copy protection in the cartridge that was conflicting with the MMU on the Coco 3, so they had to patch it to work on the Coco 3. Well, well the issue uh, that I had with some earlier programs was um, you, you lost the last 256 bytes of your cartridge memory when you're on a Coco 3 over a Coco mm -hmm. 2 because of just some stuff that they did starting at E, excuse me, FE00. There are some issues there. So there was actually a re-release of the cartridge to address whatever the compatibility was. I don't 